Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to In the Huddle, the exclusive weekly talk show dedicated to NCAA Division III football's Liberty League Conference. Tonight, your hosts, Eric Wren and Frank Rossi, will recap last week's Liberty League action and interview the newsmakers around the league. We'll also preview next week's action and take your calls and online questions. So sit back and put your game face on because you're In the Huddle. Now, live from Studio One in Saratoga Springs, New York, your hosts, Eric Wren and Frank Rossi. Well, we actually are live from Studio One in Saratoga Springs. Believe it or not, folks, we don't have to rely on modern technology. I am staring Frank Rossi in the face. I'm sorry to hear that. Well, folks, uh, believe it or not, Frank is still in town. He if you didn't catch it uh, live yesterday on SaratogaMoon.com or, or live AM radio, we're going to be posting the archive for the Dutch Shoes show. A lot of action yesterday. But believe it or not, hard, hard, to, hard to say this, Frank, but arguably probably even more important week this week coming up in Liberty League action. It really is in a lot of ways. I think of the crowd for RPI uh, kind of realizes that it didn't seem as big of a happening, the uh, Dutchman Shoes parking lot tailgating yesterday as most years because – you know, people can't get to two games in a row necessarily, so you had a lot of people there, no doubt about it, yesterday in the parking lot in uh, 86 Field. Great crowd for both teams uh, showed up. But next week I think you're going to see a huge crowd at 86 Field for Hobart RPI, which both teams hold their playoff possibilities in their own hands. We'll talk more about that as the show goes along. Frank, uh, you produced and put together the uh, pregame show, so just something to look here. Ah. A round of applause. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I didn't know what the heck that was. Frank, you know, i got to give credit where credit's due. Nice job. You know, you, you bring the media to the masses. And uh, all in all, you know, successful weekend as far as broadcast is concerned. A successful weekend for the RPI engineers over their arch rival union. Successful weekend for Hobart, for St. Lawrence. So a lot of good things this weekend. But like you just said, we're going to get to it soon enough. Uh, you know, Probably what could arguably be called the biggest week of the year now, coming up final second to last week of final regular season action in the Liberty League. Of course, we're talking about the big game on the dock. We're going to get into a little bit more where Hobart visits RPI at 86 Field for what is to be the last regular season home game at 86 Field. And you just mentioned why the crowd might have been down a little bit this week because you're really only getting a local pool for the Dutch Shoes and some of the folks who are traveling in who can drive, but I think folks are really saving those plane tickets and those flights for this last game because there's some things um, scheduled to commemorate that 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 uh, big event closing down at 86 Field. Yeah, it's going to be an exciting time, and I'm sorry I'm going to be missing it uh, down in Florida. My family's coming down, so I, otherwise I probably would have actually tried to make the truck up. But, you know, in some ways it's kind of funny, though. If RPI wins out, they're likely hosting a playoff game at 86 Field, so... I think the way it's got to be coined now is it's the last regular season home game. A lot of people want to say it's the last game, not you. I'm just saying a lot of other people are saying it's the last game. No, well, I think you got more uh, where that came from if RPI wins out. Listen, RPI wins next week, they win the Liberty League. 
period. I'll, I'll simplify it that much for now. If Hobart wins, there's still an asterisk that comes along with that. But I believe, if my uh, count is correct, there's only one team with two losses in the Liberty League, one team with one loss, one undefeated team, and everybody else has more than two losses right now. And that's amazing in just an eight-team league to have five teams at three losses or more. Well, like you said, Frank, I mean, in, in years past, you are the wizard of postseason analytics and breakdown and what-if scenarios, but I don't think there's a terrible amount of what-ifs this year. It's, it's playing itself out pretty straightforward, coming down to, as it has the last couple of years, the end of the season, the last game or two are the critical contests to decide the, the automatic qualifier to NCAA postseason tournament. You know, and, and I guess this is kind of how you want it, right? I mean, you want a conference that keeps relative week-to-week, you know, it, it, each game. Basically, uh, you know, you look at the Empire 8, it's got a four-way tie for first right now. It could have one of those three-way circular ties uh, happen in it. So uh, you got to be careful uh, what you wish for. Last year, Liberty League had four teams alive going into last week. At least we knew what each team had to do or hope for. I like it like that. I don't like these weird tiebreakers having to come into play all the time and stuff like that. But, you know, we'll talk, like I said, a lot more about this later on. I think uh, James from uh, Los Angeles might be joining us uh, during the show to talk about Hobart, and I know he's been uh, tossing around some playoff scenarios on some message boards and whatnot over the last few days. So it'll be interesting to kind of compare notes with him as the show goes along. When we talk about our slate of guests, we, we think we have uh, coming on. We didn't get all of our confirmations. It's been a tough weekend for us personally with the uh, pregame show and the actual game. So... We apologize in advance if some things don't exactly materialize as we had planned. But you're going to have around the league coming up next. Then after that, we're going to play some clips from the postgame uh, portion. Uh, Eric Ren, I know, did some uh, interviewing uh, on the field and off the field after the game last night. And uh, we'll definitely uh, have about 10 to 15 minutes worth of uh, discussion about the Dutchman Shoes game. I've got some analysis. I think you're going to find it interesting. I'm not trying to come down hard, but you and I discussed it earlier today on the phone. Uh, 8 o'clock, we're going to, we hope to have, again, this is uh, where things start getting a little questionable, Coach Mike Craig from Hobart, and at 8.15, Tyler Vincent from Hobart, who scored three touchdowns in a big uh, victory yesterday against WPI, another big game yesterday that leads into next weekend's big 86 field showdown between Hobart and RPI. And then at 8.30, Eric Jones, uh, junior running back from St. Lawrence, joins us. Our first St. Lawrence guest. It was the only school we had not covered here, and they gave us full reason to cover them after a 49-42 win in Sealands Grove, Pennsylvania, in front of 2,700 people. I think the Larrys, word has got out about the effect of in the huddle. I think, you know, they, they realize that they need to step up and, and get their due so they can get on the air. So that's good. I think, Frank, we have a lot of effect on the teams in the Liberty League. Well, uh, interestingly <laughs> enough, Susquehanna almost pulled off another miracle to here and around the league uh, yesterday. I think they liked the fact of uh, us bringing them on. They wanted to pull some late uh, heroics. Just about did it again with Derek Pope, but we'll save the uh, end of that game for you on around the league. And we, like Frank just said, this is Eric Wren, Frank Rossi. You are in the huddle on blogtalkradio.com. We're going to go to around the league, recap yesterday's action, take a message break, and come back. And guess what? You know where you are? In the huddle. In the only remaining interleague game on the schedule, the Rochester Yellow Jackets hosted the Alfred University Saxons. Alfred used a steady wave of scoring throughout the game, at one point going up 43-0 on the Yellow Jackets. 
Clarence Aniruka would put Rochester on the board late with a one-yard rushing and 33-yard receiving touchdown from Brazen Zubek to make the final score 43-14. Rochester falls to 2-6 with the loss, while Alfred moves to 6-2. Shields Grove, Pennsylvania, the St. Lawrence Saints made the long trek to try to get their first victory of the season. The host Susquehanna Crusaders, though, looked to bounce back in front of 2,700 fans. The game started well for the Saints, with running back Connor Hackett and quarterback J.P. Kearney both scoring rushing touchdowns from 7 and 6 yards, respectively, making the score 14-0 in favor of St. Lawrence. Susquehanna tried to keep it close in the first quarter, though, with a 24-yard touchdown pass from quarterback Derek Pope to Justin Young, but St. Lawrence would respond as time expired in the quarter with an 87-yard pass from Kearney to Ryan Cooney for a 21-7 lead. In the second quarter, the teams exchanged rushing touchdowns, with St. Lawrence's coming from Hackett from 5 yards and Susquehanna's from Dave Pavelitz from 9 yards. The 28-14 Saints lead was extended 10 minutes into the third quarter by Eric Jones's first score, a 9-yard rushing touchdown. But Susquehanna again responded with a Pope pass to J.J. Moran from 7 yards to make the third quarter score 35-21 St. Lawrence. Jones would provide plenty of insurance for the Saints in the fourth quarter, scoring two rushing touchdowns within four minutes of each other, split by Pavelic's touchdown run. St. Lawrence felt comfortable with his 49-28 lead with 8-17 left, but Susquehanna would try to pull off another miracle. Pope passed for two more touchdowns from Rand and Jim Owen from 32 and 13 yards to make it a touchdown game with 3-10 left, and the Crusaders got the ball back with 2-0-4 remaining. The Crusaders would not drive further than the Saints' 45-yard line, though, leaving the final score 49-42 St. Lawrence. The Saints moved to 1-7 overall and 1-4 in the Liberty League on Hackett's and Jones' combined 244 yards rushing and five touchdowns. The Crusaders fall to 3-5 and 2-3, and respectively. In Geneva, New York, the WPI engineers visited the Hobart Statesmen in a playoff berth elimination game. The Statesmen, who struggled somewhat in their last two games, put forth their strongest effort of the season, starting early in the game with a short passing touchdown from quarterback Rich Doyle to Tyler Vincent. Here's Ted Baker from WEOS, the Statesman Radio Network, with the call. Third down and six at the seven. They pick it up. Floats it left corner of the end zone. Jump ball. Tyler Vincent, touchdown. He took it away from the defender. Andrew Sides, touchdown Hobart. Hobart continued to build its lead in the second quarter with a familiar combination. Again, that spread, and Doyle takes the snap on the right sideline. He's rushed, gets it away to Vincent. 10-yard line to the five, to the end zone, touchdown, Tyler Vincent. That was just the first of three second-quarter scores for the Statesman as P.J. Overdorf would add a 21-yard field goal, and Andrew Marlier added a two-yard touchdown run to take a 24-0 lead at halftime. WPI tried to make it a game after a scoreless third quarter, scoring just 49 seconds into the fourth quarter with a Justin Wells 29-yard pass to Manny Cambra and a 7-yard Wells rushing touchdown just three and a half minutes later. With the lead down to 24-14, Hobart's Doyle and Vincent would do it again. Defense crowds the box. Doyle in the deep crowd. He wants to throw. Floats it right side of the end zone. Got it. Ball, touchdown! Tyler Vincent, his third TD catch of the day. Touchdown, Hobart. Hobart moves to 6-1 overall and 4-1 in the league on Vincent's three receiving touchdowns and linebacker Justin Hager's team-leading 13 tackles, while the engineers fall to 6-2 and 3-2 respectively. Simply stated, the Union Dutchman visited 86 fields for the last time to face the RPI engineers for the Dutchman's shoes. The Union would make the first mistake in the game early with an interception thrown by freshman quarterback Drew Connolly to RPI's Bobby Stutz. 
leading to a six-play scoring drive in which Bob Munir scored in a two-yard rushing touchdown and a 7-0 lead was taken by RPI 12 minutes into the game. Munir responded the second quarter with an impressive 13-play, 70-yard drive that Chris Coney would cap off with a one-yard touchdown run. The extra point was blocked, leaving RPI in the lead 7-6. RPI's Jimmy Robertson made an uncharacteristic mistake in the next drive with an interception caught by Union's Chris Broly, but Union could not get any further than the RPI 30 in the ensuing drive. That would leave the halftime score at 7-6 RPI. The third quarter was a display of both teams' defenses until two minutes were left in the third quarter. It's going to be a handoff to Coney, trying to go up the middle. He's got some room up the middle. He's free! To the 50, 45, 40, 35, 30, one minute to beat! He's gone! Touchdown, Junior College! Here's Coney! Did we call it? 65 yards! The kick was again missed, leaving the score at 12-7 to in favor of Union, but the ensuing kickoff swiped any momentum away from the Dutchman. Here it's taken by McCarthy at the 14-yard line, to the 20, to the 25, and he runs right into the Union crowd, and he's still on his feet at the 40. He's gone! McCarthy is gone to the 20. One man to beat. Touched it. No! He's taken down short at the 5-yard line. Are you kidding me? To the 4-yard line, he'll be marked. Two plays later, Robertson would find James McLaughlin for a four-yard touchdown. The two-point conversion pass to Patrick McCarthy was good, making the score 15-12 in favor of RPI. Union would go three and out in the next drive to start the fourth quarter, and RPI would waste little time in extending their lead. Here's Kurt Stutt from 91.5 FM, WRPI Troy, on the call. Fake to Munia. Robertson looks to throw. Looking for a whole chunk downfield. Sabasi gets it. Sabasi on his feet. Touchdown, Sabasi. RPI would add an insurance field goal late after collecting a Chris Coney fumble to make the final score 25-12 RPI. The Engineers, who won the Dutchman Shoes game for three years straight for the first time since the late 1950s, moved to 7-0 overall and 5-0 in the league. Robertson finished the day with 21 completions and 29 attempts for 196 yards and two touchdowns, while Stefan Schultz led his defense with 11 tackles. Union's defense played strong with four sacks on Robertson and 24 tackles combined between John DeLuca and Tim Romano, but the Dutchman fell to 3-4 and four and 2-3 and three respectively. All right, there you had it. This week around the uh, Liberty League. Folks, we need you to stick with us for about 30 seconds. We might lose audio. We have to uh, try to, to fix our switchboard here. Hopefully, okay. I don't know if we lost it yet, folks, but I am pulling it back up, so... Frank, yeah, please pull it up quickly. <laughs> Frank, this nice. is one time I don't want to be in the huddle. <laughs> Frank, nice job, as always. I think this week you went a little bit Gypsy King. Uh, a little flamenco, uh, Latin instrumental. Uh, you know, you run out of ideas after about six or seven of these uh, shows. I don't know what we're going to do if RPI goes deep into the playoffs somehow, or Hobart for that matter, because those are your probably uh, your two options uh, as to who's going to go where. So, well, I have the switchboard up, Frank. It looks like we are still live. I'm just trying to pull up our chat window to get verification from folks. Yeah, I think we're, and, I think uh, we're good to go. Let's act as we, if we are, and if we're not, then we'll find out the hard way. There you go. And we even have people, folks, that are Frank saying that they've enjoyed your enthusiasm on the Coney run. <laughs> oh, I'm not, you know what? i got to pull this up. I'm a little scared now to see. Uh, I have not gotten to our blog talk radio chat window yet. But, uh, you know, listen. When you're Union College and you're in the situation you're in coming into uh, you know midpoint of the season when they were one and three and they're three and three and coming into the rivalry game and everybody and his brother's saying they don't have a chance pretty much, 
for them to have taken the lead 12-7 to at that point in the game, it just felt like the momentum was so much in their direction that it felt like they had a good chance. And then, boy, Patrick McCarthy deflated everybody, including me, I have to be honest. Well, hey, you know, it, it, it was like we said, Frank, you throw the records out the window in that game. Extra incentive for both teams. Obviously, RPI's incentive is they wanted to not lose the last game regular season to Union A6 Field. Union wanted to play the role of a spoiler. Certainly didn't want to lose three in a row. So, hey, it was as advertised. Both teams came out, played hard. Union clearly is a team that their record you know, belies the talent level on that team. Clearly, they, they came ready to play. They made some big plays. I think the score, final score did not totally indicate the nature of the game. It was definitely much closer. If you folks didn't hear it, 7-6 at halftime. So both teams played tough. And, in fact, Frank, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take a real quick break from our sponsors, and then I'm going to go into the post-game interviews. I have a couple comments from the, uh, from the coach, Coach King, and uh, some of the players. And then, hey, we'll wrap up. This year's Dutch Shoes Contest, put that to bed, and we'll move on to next week's action. How's that sound? Sounds good to me. So, uh, you know what? I feel like we are right uh, now. I think they're in the huddle. All season long, let D3Football.com be your home for all the Division Three football action on the road to the Stag Bowl. From interactive blogs and message boards to columns from around the region and around the nation on your favorite teams, nobody covers NCAA Division Three better than D3Football.com. As the playoffs approach, get the scoop on who's in and who's out from the experts who picked all 32 teams last year. Don't go anywhere else. Get the info from the source for Division Three football at www.D3Football.com. You gotta be a bit crazy, a little bit out your mind If you've been drinking, then you go out and drive You're risking countless lives, and your own too Plus you risk hurting everyone that knows you Yeah, they'll be so blue, standing at your burial Thinking that you were a fool while at your memorial The point is, you shouldn't risk those lives If you drink, don't drive, if you drink, don't drive Spend a few bucks on a cab, or sleep while you've been drinking If you drink, don't drive, stay alive, start thinking Stay sober, arrive alive If you drink, don't drive, if you drink, don't drive Mad dog there you go, folks. Word from our sponsor, D3Football.com. Mr. Pat Coleman, publisher, always does a nice job. Hopefully one of these days, maybe even tonight, if he gets out of the parental duties, he might dial in late in the show for some national playoff picture stuff. But we're not sure yet, so we'll keep our fingers crossed. And always, good public service announcements. Absolutely. Sending out messages, responsible messages to our young and old folks out there. Hey, try and take those things to heart. Eric Wren, Frank Rossi. In the huddle, blogtalkradio.com. We're just going to wrap up the annual Dutch Shoes post-game event here. We did get some comments. I was out in the field with Coach King and a few of the players, so I want to just go right into those. First one, first guy we're going to hear from actually is someone who doesn't get a lot of uh, a lot of uh, media attention, a defensive lineman. As soon as I can pull that up here, Kaylee Moreau, I had a chance to speak to him after the game. Moreau, Eric Ren in the huddle. Kali, uh, congratulations today. Great win against the Dutchman. That's three years in a row, first time since 1950. you got to feel pretty good about that as a senior. I think you've been a part of a few of those wins. Oh, definitely. I've been a part of all three of them. I didn't know it was that long since it's been three in a row. Well, you know, well, well, that's because Coach Ting does a great job. You guys don't focus on stats. You just take care of the business at hand. You don't get caught up in all the, all the hoopla of stats. You just focus on the opponent at hand. Uh, Kali, a lot of folks this week said coming into this game, you know, you you get a lot of accolades with Jimmy Robertson, your offensive weapons, Aaron Savasi. You got the running backs. You got the, you know, you got that big vertical passing game. But a lot of folks said this was a game that was going to be won in the trenches. 
because you know Union has a great running game. They got Chris Coney, that tailback. He actually had a big play today. Mm-hmm. Great job, you know, as a defensive lineman. Seven six in the first half, twenty five twelve is a score. You know, in the trenches is, is really where folks were looking for a lot of the action today. You know, you guys come out seven six halftime. What were the adjustments made, if any, that kept you guys shutting down that high-powered union running attack? Well, what, one thing that's been said during the week is how their line has been improving. Um, as games have gone on, they won their last two or three, I believe, but we've been doing the same. So what we did coming into halftime is we just continued to just run our base defense, not trying to slant too much and just going one-on-one, see who was going to be the better man. And today we were. And I'm just happy that we could do that each time in line. We all just come out and whatever we got in front of us, we take a man on and look for the ball. So nothing fancy today, just the base defense, not trying to do too much different than the base package, just went out and played? Yeah, we're not a fancy defense. We're not trying to – we're not going to disguise so much. We're not going to trick you with a bunch of different things. We're going to play you head up, and we're just going to come after you. We're a bunch of dogs down there. All right, so you're 7-0 and now. You, 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 you're clearly sitting on top of the, the Liberty League title. You know, automatic qualifier gets the NCAAs. It's been a postseason atmosphere today, next week. Last game in six field, you got the Hobart Statesman coming to town. That has been a dog fight for many years. You know, I played in that game. Mm-hmm. Anyone who's ever played in that game knows that Hobart brings it. The dog fight. You know, what is the big thing about preparing for that team now? We just got to come out and have a hard week of practice, just like we've been doing. Again, it's just it's another game. It's a big game, but it's another game. So we have to prepare for it like we have each other game. If we come out and try to play out of ourselves then we're going to make mistakes that we shouldn't be making. So we just got to come out, keep a focused head, and play our game. Folks, you heard it. 25-12 today, big win. Kelly Moreau, big part of that defensive tackle for RPI. Good luck. You know, Congratulations, Dan. Good luck next week against Hobart. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, so let's become a little bit regular thing here. Jimmy Robinson now, friend of In the Huddle and D3Sports.com. <laughs> First of all, congratulations on Thank a big you. win today, Jimmy. This Thank is your you. senior year. I know this is a big thing against Union. We had Dan on from the pregame this morning, so, you know, he, was he, really, he did great. He was really excited to be part of it. 7-6 um, at halftime, a little dicey early on. You know, you tried to run the spread. You tried to do some things. Didn't quite light it up in the first half. Come back out 25-12. What, was, what happened at halftime? Halftime, I mean, we just kept our game plan. I mean, we were shooting ourselves in the foot a little bit. But, I mean, their defense is making plays. Union has a lot of playmakers on defense. So, I mean, both sides of the ball, both teams were just – you know, going all out 110%. We came out in the second half, made a couple of big plays. Defense had a couple of turnovers. Had kick return sparked sparked the whole team. You know, we were just able to you know take take our opportunities on some big plays. You know, it looked like in the first half, definitely at least in the sidelines, you guys weren't getting too vertical. A lot of short stuff, a lot of dump offs wide receiver. In fact, you seemed to be scrambling a little bit. You were taking your time, some slides. Not a lot of vertical stuff. Second half, you went deep a little bit more. What was the difference in the first half and the second half? Any different in coverage, or were you just trying to throw no. it downfield a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, they were pretty much giving us the same thing. I mean, we had to take advantage of our playmakers, our receivers, our playmakers. And, I mean, we know they can stretch the field vertically with their speed and athleticism. So, second half, coach made a couple of real good calls, and we were able to do that. So, Jimmy, okay, so next week you got Hobart, the Merchant Marine. You know, looking forward. Basically, it's a postseason atmosphere the next two weeks. Uh, you know, how, how do you feel moving forward now? I mean, we're excited. I mean, we can, you know, be happy for today. But, you know, come tomorrow, we got to start thinking about Hobart. You know, this game was like a playoff atmosphere. Next week's going to be like a playoff atmosphere. It could be win or go home. So we got to take it just one step at a time. Well, you said it this week in the press conference. You said, you know, win today, senior year, last time shoes, A6 field. You accomplished those goals. What are the goals you have now for the next two weeks? 
beat Hobart. That's our only goal right now. Beat Hobart, try to get to 8-0. I mean, it's going to be tough. I mean, they're one of the best teams in the league every year. You know, we've had trouble with them in the past, so beat Hobart. That's our goal. you got a whole cadre of fans stand behind him and let you go. Great job, Jimmy. Thanks. We're probably going to ask you to be a guest soon, so uh, I'll let you get back to your other efforts. Thanks, Ken. Congratulations. Thank you. Aaron Frosty, big win today. That will be three years in a row now for you against Union. Yep, it is. Big touchdown reception. Uh, you know, a little bit closer than you probably would have liked, 13 points. Tough one until halftime. Uh, what happened at halftime in the second half? Well, we were just taking what they gave us. You know, we made some halftime adjustments. They were basically uh, doubling me all game, putting two to three men on me all game. And, you know, we just made adjustments, opened up other people. We take, took what they gave us. And when I got my chance downfield, you know, they left me single covered. We took advantage of it and scored. Do you think, uh, you know, you're a tall guy, man. Yep. So <laughs> does, does that play in a little bit? I mean, when you're playing against D-backs, you know, 5'7", five, 5'8", five, 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 you know, maybe 5'10", is that something that you look forward to in a game? Oh, definitely. You know, that's, we take advantage of that every week, you know, if well. Uh, we have, you know, small DBs out there. We uh, adjust to it. We make our game plan according to it. And, you know, I take advantage of my height. I use it to my best ability. So you said a lot of good things the last couple of weeks. You're running in the huddle. You're running in the pregame. Um, hey, 7-0. and Next week's another big one against Hobart. Is that a postseason atmosphere? Definitely. You know, we're, now we have, we're off to the start we wanted, and we just got to take it one game at a time. We're focusing on Hobart, and, you know, we're going to bring it to them. All right, great. Listen, you got people looking for you. Good, good luck. Thank you. Good job today, Aaron. Thank Go you very the rest much. Of the way. Thank you. Hey, Eric Rand, Frank Rossi, and Huddle. Real quick word from one of our sponsors, and we'll come back and talk some more. The internet puts the internet puts the world at our fingertips, but it can be a very dangerous place, especially for children. I'm Dean Sparks, Director of Children's Services. The internet is just another door into your home. You wouldn't let a stranger walk through your front door, but ask yourself, who might my child be letting into the house through the computer? Here's what you can do. Teach your kids not to share personal information online. Educate yourself about internet parental controls and have your kids show you their favorite websites. Be aware that they could also be surfing the web at the library or a friend's house. Put your computer in a place where you can monitor your children while they use it. Ask yourself, does your child spend a lot of time online late at night or change the screen quickly when you walk into the room? Are there calls from people you don't know, suspicious telephone charges, or unexplained gifts? Remember, if your child is online, you should be on guard. I'm Dean Sparks. For more on what parents should know, visit us on the web at lucaskids.net. Well, there's an ad for you, and uh, that sound you heard was Frank quickly switching screens when we got back. <laughs> my mother doesn't know I'm at my friend's house right now. Studio one, baby. Oh, my god. Got to be 21 to get in. <laughs> Where did you find that? Hey, man, keep them rolling. Uh, I mean, it's an important message, but... There's more coming. Rest, it's a young evening. Evening's young still. Okay. Uh, well, so is the Union football team. Let's talk about uh, that game a little bit because I saw a question in the message board putting me to task, taking me to task, as always. Uh, I, I'll be honest, I got right out of there yesterday. It was it was a frustrating point of view from a Union fan. Uh, just the fact that you felt like you had them in terms of RPI, you out-yarded them, out-gained them by about 120 yards uh, until that last drive, uh, and you're still down by 13 points on the scoreboard. It, it was tough. And, but the, here's the thing i got to say. To me, in a lot of ways, you know, you, people are going to argue the, you know, the best team won, the best team didn't win, yada, yada, yada. I'm just going to be factual about what I say here. I'm not going to 
place any emphasis on it. I'm just going to be factual for people that might not have gotten the full game. Union made three key mistakes in the game. An interception that led to a touchdown early. Uh, the kickoff return that stole all the momentum away, That's to me that's a mistake because you, you, letting somebody go 81 yards is not something that should happen uh, on a kickoff. I don't care who you are. That's a big mistake by a special teams unit. And the fumble by Chris Coney, unfortunately, at the seven-yard line, he just didn't tuck that ball away the way you should on a sweep route like he was running. He scored the 12 points the union had. You can't fault him too much. But what I'm saying is you take those three mistakes, and that is a huge swing in that game. And union did out, uh, outgain RPI by about 100 yards in that game. That's a fact. Now, would it have changed the outcome of the game? I don't know, but... Union's defense is not that well regarded. I think they played a great game yesterday, but the question you got to ask yourself is, with the young offensive line that got dinged up yesterday for RPI, they allowed through four sacks. For the entire rest of the season, they only allowed five sacks total uh, to uh, penetrate to Jimmy Robertson. So here's my question. How good is RPI how vulnerable is RPI, especially coming into these next games? And now that's equal time to you. No, and we're not going to belabor this point because clearly we got listeners out there that want to talk about next week's action and the other teams that just played. But I think you're off base. I think your fact, your, your whatever you call it, your analysis, is, is, is a little mis, misguided to say RPI is vulnerable. I mean, it's their biggest rival. Emotions are on edge records can be thrown out the window, that game's been played for over 100 years. The fact that a team gives up four sacks in a spread offense, I mean, I don't think that's a, a huge, you know, red flag. Jimmy Robertson threw one interception. You know, that's that, that he, you know, I talked to him about that in the parking lot after the game. He didn't see the cornerback closing in. You know, the cornerback, I believe, came in from the outside and kind of jumped jumped that receiver and played where the safety would normally play. So it was a, it was a passable mistake as far as I'm concerned by Jimmy. I mean, to me, there weren't glaring holes more so much as it was an incredibly tough rivalry game. I mean, you know, look at other teams that lose close rivalry games. I wouldn't necessarily call Texas and Texas Tech a rivalry, but hey, they went on the road and lost a tough game to an emotionally charged up team. I, I think it's the same environment here. I wouldn't call RPI vulnerable. That, that's my opinion. I think it's a team that Hey, if the bullseye on your back every week and a team is gunning to prepare for you and a lot of emotions are on the line, especially a team like Union who's just a few miles up the road who knows this program inside and out, it's going to be a tight, tight game. I mean, don't forget, they, they, the margin of win here was, was a 10-point or over 13. 13 points. That's the first time in four or five years it's been decided by more than a touchdown. So, I, you know, it's like I tell you, good teams find a way to win games. Unions, you know, played their hearts out. They got nothing to be ashamed of. My question to you is, where does that program go from here? I mean, there's a lot of bright spots. There's a freshman quarterback, I, I there's a sophomore running back. I think, and I said this at the end of yesterday's broadcast. We only had about a two-minute post-game show, but I, I did say at the very end, and kind of my post-game commentary about things, I think you're going to see those mistakes ring memories for those kids that were on the field this uh, last game next year on Bailey Field when they go back to Union. I don't think you're going to see those kinds of mistakes made by Chris Coney, by Andrew Connolly at that point in time. And I think they're going to be a stronger team as uh, things come along for them. So I, I think that next year 
you, you look at RPI, and one thing I've learned watching the, the local Division three teams, like your Springfields and whatnot, is when you've got a team that's a little imbalanced in their offense and they lose the crux of that top of their offense, it's a tough year the next year because you know where defensively you have to strike at them, and the next quarterback won't be as in, let's say, the momentum sphere that Jimmy Robertson is in right now. It'll be a tougher start for them next year, and I think Union can catch RPI. Granted, it's going to be later in the season, seventh week or thereabouts of the season, but I think Union at that point is going to be hitting a real stride, whereas RPI might be just reaching some kind of stride by that point in the season. I think Union has to come into that game as the favorite looking ahead. All right, well, there you have it. Frank making predictions on 2009 shoes already. Why don't we segue here? There's a lot of other football to be talked about. Absolutely. Equal time to the other Liberty League members. You know, Hobart had a big win. St. Lawrence. Let's let, let's talk for for a second. In fact, let's take a uh, take a real quick break. Uh, Frank, I need you to see if we can reach out to James here. We might need to pull him in a little early. Let's take a real quick break and uh, come back and talk about give some give some time to that big St. Lawrence win. Absolutely. So, folks, it's Sunday night, and you are in the huddle. It's never too late to benefit from healthy living. Even if you've had a lifetime of unhealthy habits, taking action now can still have a positive effect on your overall health. I'm Dr. Carolyn Clancy, Director of the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. The most important things you can do to stay healthy are get recommended screening tests, be tobacco-free, be physically active, eat a healthy diet, stay at a healthy weight, and drink alcohol in moderation. For more information about maintaining optimal health, visit www.ahrq.gov. So, EJ, we've designed you a signature shoe worthy of a three-time All-American with mad smarts and sick leadership skills. Ta-da! There are over 380,000 NCAA student-athletes. Yeah, you got your GPA in box, right? I love it. <laughs> and just about all of them will be going pro in something other than sports. Can I get it in a loafer for casual Fridays? Yes. Yes. You are in the huddle. The only weekly talk show devoted to NCAA Division Three Liberty League Conference college football. And now back to Studio One in Saratoga Springs, New York. Your hosts, Eric Red and Frank Rossi. And we are back tonight in the huddle, Studio One, Springs, Eric Ren and Frank Rossi. Frank, I didn't even get the maid to come this week. You know, I, she, she's off her schedule. I, I didn't think about it. You're here. Studio One needs to be in tip-top shape when Frank Rossi's in town, so I hope it passes the white glove test. I'm wearing just about the same thing I wore yesterday, uh, fresh, uh, freshly laundered, not uh, the same thing since yesterday, folks. Not the garnet shirt, though. Yeah, <laughs> that almost got me killed in the parking lot, I guess, but... <laughs> I felt bad for the family of union people <laughs> that came through the gauntlet that we grabbed for an interview as they were getting booed as they walked along. That was kind of funny. Uh, and, uh, for those of you that want to listen to the archive, it'll be up Tuesday is our prediction, and we'll uh, be promoting that uh, on the message boards and whatnot. So you'll uh, definitely want to listen to that. It was a fun time. Uh, lots of different guests and whatnot uh, in that pregame show, from especially the RPI side of the ledger, but we had some interviews from union players earlier, and we had uh, Joe Catalano's father, Joe, uh, join us as well. 
and a couple of union guests along the way. So it was equal time. We had a lot of fun with it. Make sure you tune in on Tuesday. Let's talk about that St. Lawrence game, though. Selins Grove, Pennsylvania, the place to be on Saturday if you wanted a high-caliber offensive shootout. You know, as you know, we were busy doing other things on Saturday, but, folks, that doesn't mean football wasn't played elsewhere in the Liberty League. Frank, I, I know we, we didn't get to see the game, but we researched some, some statistics. We're going to have uh, the running back from St. Lawrence on with us. You know, the significance of this game to us, hey, St. Lawrence picks up their first win of the year, important for that program. No one, you know, they work hard just as hard as anyone else does. You know, just because the kids haven't won a game doesn't mean they're not out practicing and lifting and taking classes. So good to see them get a win on the board. Uh, Frank, take, take us through a little bit some of the intrigue, I'll call it, of that contest. A thousand yards combined, basically, uh, would be one uh, piece of intrigue for anybody that didn't see that game. Uh, St. Lawrence, for, you know, I would say two out of the last three weeks has come out of the gate strong. They were up 14-0 in the first quarter against Union a couple weeks ago, or a few weeks ago. And uh, then yesterday they came out of the gate up 21-7 to after one quarter of play against Susquehanna. And they look like eventually in that game, uh, Connor Hack and J.P. Kearney had that team ready to roll, it looked like. They had that 49-28 to lead. Uh, with eight minutes to go in the game. And that's where things, again, remember that Susquehanna Merchant Marine game and what happened in the fourth quarter? They were down by 21 points twice in that game. Well, here we go again. And uh, David Pope, unbelievable job in terms of he brought that team back down the field, not once, not twice, but almost three times in that last eight minutes. They got to within 49-42, got to the 45-yard line of St. Lawrence, and were not able to do what they did against Merchant Marine Academy about five weeks ago. But still, the power of those offenses and Pope just able to get that team back in such a situation, it's amazing to me that he's able to engineer a comeback like that, even against St. Lawrence. Yeah, okay, they haven't won a game this year, yada, 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 people will say, but still, I got a 21-point lead. I don't care who I am. I should be able to hold on to that lead unless that other offense is really that strong. Well, you got to give credit to the Larrys. I mean, first of all, that commute. I mean, that makes Lewis and Clark's road trip look like they just ran to the corner store for a six-pack. I mean, you know, they're coming from Canton down to Sellins Grove. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a heck of a haul. That's about eight hours on the road. Late, late in the season. And, and you got to ask yourself this, right? I mean, I'm curious, and we're going to ask this question uh, in a little bit when we talk to – the St. Lawrence guests we have, but, you know, what is the motivation level? How, how is the team's, I guess, mentality, having not won a game so far, going this late into the season, going on the road in that long trip late in the year? I mean, you've got to think that at some level as competitors, some of the fire potentially could be out of the bellies. You know, St. Lawrence hasn't won a game, and, and, and you know, you don't want to think that, but you've got to ask that question, and, and, they, and they showed some heart. They, they didn't fold. You know, they put the points on the board. And, and you know, that's, that's a program where you got to ask yourself, when are they going to turn the corner? In fact, in some ways, I think maybe in the last couple of years, they might have taken a step backward. They showed, some, they showed something in recent years. They had an upset win against RPI. They've played some teams tough. But they just haven't been able to turn the corner. And I think you always see a lot of young players making – making plays, because i I got to believe in a, in a program that just can't put wins on the board 
it's hard for guys to stay around to the time they're juniors and seniors. Well, we'll have Eric Jones on in about 20 minutes to answer that question a little bit himself. I'm going to play devil's advocate right now on that question and say, look, Eric Jones, Connor Hackett, both did a tremendous job this season as juniors uh, in terms of the backfield. They combined for 200, almost 250 yards and five touchdowns yesterday against Susquehanna. Not the strongest of teams necessarily in the Liberty League, Susquehanna, but at the same time, you know, that's still some good yardage. They show glimmers of uh, brilliance. They were only down 16-8 to against RPI last week coming out of halftime. Uh, they scored a touchdown to split the lead in half. They were down 16-0 at halftime, but came back, and obviously RPI rolled. Same thing with Union. They, they had a quick burst, and then Union beat them down uh, in the second, third, and fourth quarters. And so my thought on this team is that they have the capabilities, but they just don't have the ability to put four quarters together quite yet. That's something that can actually come with experience, and I would say to you, look out for them next year a little bit. Well, that's see, that's the difference between a St. Lawrence versus a Hobart, an RPI, maybe a WPI this year. Good teams that are consistently good week in and week out, they have uh, you know, the ability to maybe not play your best for a series or for a quarter. But in the end, you know a good team, the teams that separate themselves, are going to put together an effort for four quarters collectively. You know, RPI or Hobart maybe can afford to take, no, well, no one can afford to take a quarter off, but I think if you understand the gist of my message, maybe you don't play your best football for a 12-minute stretch, but you know you got the toolbox, the, the weapons in the toolbox to come out and make a run when you have to. I don't think St. Lawrence is there yet. I thought some of the bottom-tier teams, as far as performance in the league, are they're not there yet. Key word is yet, though. And uh, I think that eventually we, we saw how the league sh- shook out a little bit this year so far. Merchant Marine Academy looked strong early, then fell apart a little bit. Susquehanna looked strong middle of the season, then fell apart a little bit. WPI looked strong beginning and the middle of the season. I bring these up because... These are teams that we didn't have much regard for necessarily. Rochester, same thing. They didn't have the win-loss record necessarily, but they were playing some strong football earlier in the season. And so, you know what? It really is becoming a parity league at certain points in time. And, yeah, the cream still rises to the top, it seems like, RPI and Hobart this year again. But at the same time, little by little, it feels like that differential is disappearing in this league, and here's, so they could be coming along. Here's the problem I think St. Lawrence is always going to have as far as you know, competing in this league, and, and it's this. Obviously, at any level, football is based on talent pool on recruiting. I think they are at a disadvantage recruiting against other schools for a, a handful of reasons. Location, location, location. I, say, same I, mean, I mean, you know, RPI, I'll use them as an example because I know them best. They pull from Massachusetts. They pull from upstate New York. They pull from downstate New York. They get into Jersey. Now they're recruiting just like Union is down in Florida. I mean, they've got a wide-reaching recruiting pool, and a lot of it's based on academics as well. I mean, a well-known, nationally, technically reputable institution. St. Lawrence is a different kind of school. It's a liberal arts school. So the recruiting base, if you're, if you're a kid, say, in, in Massachusetts looking at a school like that, you might go look at, at NESCAP or, or, you know, in Amherst or something like that. Plus, again, I just think it's tough sell. Can't New York, November, December, January, February is a tough sell for some college kids. So, therefore, what you have, in my opinion, is a more really, really localized recruiting pool of kids from the North Country because, you know, that's really where 
folks that are comfortable living up there, comfortable with the environment, it's an easier sell to a kid who's got no problem for ge geographically living up in Canton. Yeah, it's, you know what, it's a nice place to visit, but I, I couldn't live there myself, I don't think. I haven't gone up there a number of times for hockey and for football, et cetera. You know, it's, it's quaint, no doubt about it. You're right near the Canadian border, okay. But you've you got to have a certain flavor or a certain love of the game or of that team necessarily to go and play up there. Uh, it's a hockey area. There's no doubt about it. The Canton, uh, Ogdensburg area up there, Potsdam, that's hockey town. Uh, Messina, New York, all that uh, area really is. And I'm not trying to pick on it when I say that. It's just factual. So, you know what? They built some high-quality facilities all around up there. Absolutely. It looks nice. The gym was ahead of its time compared to the other Liberty League schools. They had the plasma TV set up and uh, kind of a window-oriented uh, gym so you could see out of it and everything. Beautiful job they did up there with the facilities. And we'll, we'll ask Eric Jones what his draw was St. Lawrence uh, when he uh, calls in a little bit. But, you know, it's, I think it's a matter of time for any one of these teams. That's my point. It is a matter of time before they show a glimmer, and whether or not that glimmer is enough to put them into a pole position or not, you got to see. Listen, you cannot discredit WPI this year for what they uh, pulled off in their run. They're going to go to an ECAC game this year with, almost without a doubt. They had a chance with two weeks to go or three weeks to go in the season to still get a pool A or pool C slot. So, you know what? WPI, strong team this year. They might be able to continue that next year. We'll see what happens. And Hobart took care of them yesterday, but you know what? They didn't give up in that fourth quarter. They tried to come back, even down, I think it was 24-14, uh, after being down 24 to nothing. Give WPI credit. They're not, being, they're not done being heard from this year, and we'll keep paying attention to them. I think we have a caller. Yeah, this is Eric Wren, Frank Rossi in the huddle. One of the team, too, Frank, and before we get to our call, I know James is on the line. We're going to get to him in a moment after a quick spot from our sponsor. But, you know, one other team I just got to mention, because they could play a spoiler role in the last week of the season, Rochester. But I don't understand this team. You know, they come into this season, lots of high hopes, win a tight game against Union, you know, give, RP, give RPI a game, lots of high hopes out of Scott Green's boys, but have they folded? Have they, have they basically phoned it in the rest of the year? That effort against Alfred didn't show me a lot. They have one chance to redeem themselves because, I tell you, they still got to play Hobart. You know, we looked at what happened after Merchant Marine Academy collapsed against Susquehanna about five or six weeks ago, as we talked about. And it, that was a crucial game for Merchant Marine Academy. They have not been the same team since. I think what Rochester's experiencing is a delay effect to the same degree as Merchant Marine Academy in a lot of ways. You played well to start your season, even the, you know, though your win-loss record didn't necessarily show it. You beat Union. You looked like you had a chance against certain teams early on that you just didn't get the win. St. John Fisher was a close call uh, for them. You know, these were big games, and then you look at your win-loss record when you're in midseason, and you've got a lot of losses, and that gets disappointing, I think, for a team. How can it? I mean, even looking at Union yesterday, they're 3-4. and four. They, they came back from 1-3. and three. Granted, they played strong against their uh, big-time rival, but you know what? You look at that 4 in terms of losses, and it's depressing for a team that thinks that they're better than that and that maybe two plays away – uh, they are still from being 5-2, and two, uh, perhaps. So I think that's what Rochester's experiencing. And it's a tough sell for Scott Green at this point in the season to say, come on, guys, let's, let's turn it around. But you know what? 
I would want to be Hobart going into that last week, especially if Hobart beats, Rod, or beats RPI next week. Hobart would control its own destiny and would still have to beat Rochester to win the league. And I think I'm kind of segueing uh, by saying that into our next guest. So why don't we uh, take that commercial, and then we will be back here. You are with Eric Wren and Frank Rossi, and you are in the huddle. Hi, I'm Brad Paisley. As an entertainer, I've always believed that music and good times go hand in hand. But if your good times involve alcohol, remember that the average person can only metabolize about one drink an hour. That's just 12 ounces of beer, 5 ounces of wine, or an ounce and a half of 80-proof liquor. And whatever the home remedies, only time will sober you up. Call a cab, designate a driver, get home alive. Call 1-800-GET-MAD or visit mad.org. That's 1-800-GET-MADD. Back with In the Huddle on blogtalkradio.com, the only talk show devoted to NCAA Division III College Football's Liberty League Conference. Once again, from Studio One in Saratoga Springs, New York, your hosts, Eric Redden and Frank Rossi. And we're back. I've got to send a shout-out myself, actually. Uh, my niece, Carmella, who actually wanted to come down and visit, but I told her the maid hadn't come through uh, Eric Redden's house, so I thought she'd be a little scared. <laughs> Uh, hello to uh, Carmela, uh, back home listening, and uh, to all of our Union fans that might be listening, and uh, just general Liberty, Liberty League fans. I want to say hello to them, and thanks for joining us in the huddle. We didn't put much promotion out this week because we're exhausted, folks. <laughs> but we do have the privilege of yes. a good friend of the program coming live to us from Los Angeles, California, a subject matter expert on the Hobart Statesman. Uh, James, James Baker is joining us live from Los Angeles. James, thanks. And real quick trivia question, James. Can you identify what that last music was from? That, uh, Halloween? No. I, you know, I thought you would get that because you're always really good at that trivia stuff. That was from The, the Exorcist. Oh. The Exorcist, okay. <laughs> James. Maybe, a little be- maybe a little before my time, guys. I don't know. I'm not oh, whatever. <laughs> don't forget, Frank and I are old. Yeah. Aaron Savasi tested us. We are old. So, uh, James, we're heading into the second last week of the season now. Things are kind of shaping up in some regard. No surprise. You know, it's coming down to a dogfight, RPI, and Hobart at the top of the Liberty League. Somewhat of a surprise. There's no Rochester to contend with this year. There's no union. You know, uh, Dark Horse WPI made some noise, but, you know, after this game yesterday, they kind of have fallen off in the, in the ranks as far as an AQ. So we're in the driver's seat. Same story the last couple of years. You know, this Hobart team, folks have really been keeping an eye on this RPI team, but, hey, you look at this record, the only blemish on it is a really tough loss to the same Dutchman that RPI just, just handled at home yesterday. So, yeah, James, you know, I think, what, you know. What is Hobart, the story now as far as, you know, what is Hobart on some kind of momentum now? Is, is this what's, what's going on? I mean, I think so. I mean, the, so far, you know, since – since they had the, you know, the letdown, I guess, you know, to, to a Hobart fan, it was a letdown game, you know, in Geneva. They missed, they missed three field goals, and they lost by three points. And obviously, Union came ready to play. It was a kind of a do-or-die situation for them, and they, and they took it to us, and, and, you know, Hobart didn't respond. But, you know, coming out of the bye week, they basically hadn't allowed a touchdown until uh, the fourth quarter of yesterday's game against WPI, and even that was kind of a fluky, you know, broken play. But um, you know, they've got a they've got a lot of good athletes. 
I'm a little worried about some, some injuries. We had a couple of guys uh, have to be carried off the field um, late in the fourth quarter against WPI, which, you know, in this, uh, in this scenario, we, we were not going to know whether or not – there's not going to be an IR report on Monday for us to check to see whether or not Matt Deliba and, and Anthony Hobaika are going to be able to go on Saturday. So uh, those are – There's a niche for you, James. Maybe you can start that niche in D3. <laughs> It's a yeah. Monday IR report. And so Bill Belichick is long. Yeah, well, yeah, all our guys would be uh, questionable or, or something like that, doubtful for the for the whole week, and then we'll start them anyway. But Hey, James, uh, Frank Rossi uh, in Studio One for once in my life here. Uh, we should have you up here uh, with us. Uh, this would be a real party if we had you at the uh, Eric Rent compound up here in Saratoga. And uh, let me ask you something. Uh, you bring up... Hobart's injuries, but RPI had its share of injuries yesterday, too. Uh, one of their offensive linemen uh, was uh, pretty well injured. Mike Phil, who's what I would call RPI's third option on offense in terms of the uh, receiving core, uh, I think he's pretty well hurt. Uh, it sounded pretty bad what happened on our uh, on-field report that we, had, that we had from Zach Analetti yesterday, uh, who was on that sideline. And, you know, just in general, teams are banged up right now. Hobart, though, looked a lot better scoreboard-wise, it seemed, at least in the first three quarters, than RPI did against teams that might have been looked at as lesser teams. Now, granted, as Eric pointed out, Union was a rival for RPI, an arch-rival, not necessarily the same history between Hobart and uh, WPI. I mean, what do you think? It seemed like WPI, or Hobart, rather, got its role together for the first time on both offense and defense for most of that game all season. One thing's been lacking. Uh, is that is yesterday a game that you feel is a turnaround game against possibly an RPI team that didn't have a turnaround game of, of any positive uh, sense that they got banged up in, uh, more or less? Well, I mean, I think our, you know, RPI and Union, that's always going to be you know a dogfight. The, the, the thing that I like about you know the the way Hobart played yesterday was like you said it was really for the first time a, a complete game in all aspects uh offense defense special teams our, our our offense wasn't spectacular but they i think they set a season high for first downs they you know they moved the chains they controlled the clock um Tyler Vincent had a big game while Zach Schultz who was one of the other top wide receivers was out with an injury uh just you know won three jump balls in the end zone and had a had a big game for us. Uh, Rich Doyle uh, was efficient. I don't know what his final stats were, but at one point he was like 18 for 25, three touchdowns. He did throw a couple interceptions, but those were the first uh, picks that he's thrown in over a month and a half. And uh, one of them, I would say, really wasn't his fault. The receiver just kind of gave up on the route and you know went straight into the hands of the defensive back. But it was in the fourth quarter with the game pretty much um, in hand, although I was – a little worried when when they you know, put those two scores up and all of a sudden it's 24 to 14, but uh, you know the offense got right back on the field, drove down, scored another touchdown, basically burned the clock out, and uh, and put that one away. So I was, you know, I liked I liked the way they moved the ball. Um, they they mixed it up. I think Kevin DeWall did a really good job calling uh, calling the game uh, from the you know from the play box. He was. You know, changing up a lot of different formations. A lot of a lot of different guys got involved. Um, Saravo, our fullback, who was a converted linebacker, uh, you know, had a good game. You know, broke off a couple of decent runs for a big guy. The defense looks great. Drake uh, Woodard, who 
I'm surprised hasn't gotten a little uh, All-American mention. Everyone, you know, focuses on Justin Hager having 15 tackles a game, but uh, this this freshman uh, Woodard has, leads the country in interceptions. He scored a touchdown against uh, Merchant Marine when he blocked a punt. Uh, yesterday, he stripped the ball right out of a wide receiver from WPI's hands and and created another you know scoring opportunity. Uh, Kwame Lavelle was kind of rumbling, bumbling, stumbling down the field, didn't make it into the end zone, but uh, you know gave the offense a you know good opportunity to to add some more points. So you know the, the all the all the key areas of the game, you know the kicking, which was a problem during the Union game. This this kid PJ Overdorf has come in. He hasn't missed a kick yet. Uh, so that's encouraging. He he nailed a 20-yard field goal yesterday and was good on all his extra points. So uh, you know I like uh, you know I think they're hitting their stride and and will give it RPI a good run for their money. So Eric Ren and Frank Rossi again in the huddle Sunday night BlogTalkRadio.com joined here live by James Baker, former Hobart Statesman player and longtime very dedicated fan coming to us from Los Angeles who who gives us a very hard-hitting analysis each no week of, of Hobart as well as other games upon request. James will take yeah. requests. He put together some stuff for us for Union this week. Don't forget, folks, coming up in a few minutes, we have Eric Jones running back from St. Lawrence, who had a phenomenal performance this weekend. But, uh, James, i got to ask you this. You, you've been around the program, and, and, I, and you're not going to give me more of a canned answer from a coach. I, I want to have it as a, from a former player and a fan now, a, a, a real answer to this question. What is the identity of this team? Is it defense? Is it offense? You know, you've got Justin Hager, phenomenal All-American candidate, defensive player. These guys have some great defensive, you know, statistics, and, and they come hard every week. But I'll tell you, in crunch time, in, in big games, they're going to have to put points on the board when it matters, especially against RPI, who, hey, as good as Hobart's defense is, you know, you got to believe RPI this week could come out and, you know, put some points on the board. So if you if you know, you get say say Hobart wins the league and gets in the postseason they're going to have to score points. So what kind of identity does this team have? You know, uh, you know I played I played for a little while under Coach Craig and, and, and Coach Craig is a defensive coach, but the um, you know the difference between the Hobart that I I was involved with and, and watched as a you know student you know, player fan whatever in the '90s and this sort of you know year 2000 plus version is, is completely different um you know this this is a much more offensive focused team um and you know the especially with the advent of, of kevin dewall taking over as offensive coordinator a few years ago he was a former hobart player i think he was class of 2000 or 2001 and he was on the first um ncaa uh you know team that that they that they fielded and uh you know he's really changed changed this thing around they've been recruiting you know quarterbacks who are you know run you know west coast style offenses they're big guys are you know 62 200 plus pounds andy strom last year you know set all sorts of records you know points scored passing yardage i mean they are they're a team that's going to want to come out and and put you know the points up on the board on offense the big difference of this year and you know, I don't want to. I don't want to ding you know, Rich Doyle. I think he's done a good job. He's a good sort of game manager, quarterback. But he's he's not clearly the same, you know, caliber of player as a Sean Misro, as a Andy Strom. He doesn't have you know, you know those types of skills, or at least he hasn't been able to, um, you know, have a game where he's he's really, you know, kind of just 
controlled it from beginning to end, thrown for 350 yards, four touchdowns, and all that, like Strom did last year, and Misro had done a number of uh, you know games, you know, back in his career. But um, you know, I think this this is a good you know this is sort of a blue collar offensive team. They're going to try and, and mix it up with some different looks. You know, part of what they did to WPI, you know, maybe was something to throw a curveball at, at RPI was that they they tried a whole bunch of different offensive packages, some, you know, with guys that they hadn't utilized as much in the past. Um, you know, Deliva went down uh, late in the game, and they put in this freshman who, you know, takes uh, takes off for a 22-yard, you know, reception. So they're showing some depth, which is important, you know, deep, you know, deep in the season. And, uh, you know, I think the, the long-winded answer to your question is that this is really, more, you know, has been more of an offensive-minded team. They just haven't had the um, the same – athletes in in place this season to really you know create all those yard, all that yardage all the points scored all of that i mean they don't have a feature back like a doug blakowski anymore you know habika's done a good job and marler you know has too but those guys are sort of you know role players they're not um you know feature backs the uh the wide receiving core you know has has some good guys on it but it doesn't have the some of the you know the explosive players like they had Last year, and uh, the kid from San Diego, whose name I'm blanking on, he graduated early, which was kind of a, a surprise. But so they don't have some of those, you know, those guys who stretch the field. Although, you know, I thought Vincent did a pretty nice job, you know, catching. Well, the what we do, what we do without James, special guest, Hobart, okay. and analyst. Hey James, uh, I feel like I'm talking to myself right now. It's kind of uh, interesting, uh, the uh, Frank Rossi of Hobart, the way that you're spewing these stats off. Uh, it's almost scary. Now I know what I sound like. <laughs> James, that, there's a there's I don't a, know. Is that a compliment you know, or a put down? There's a there's a there's a title I'm sure you really were looking for. The Frank Rossi of Hobart. I'm not a yeah, self hater. I'm not a self hater. I'm going to play devil's advocate though with you a little bit here, James. I, I, sure. Devil's advocate is again. I'm going to post actual numbers to you that might be skewed slightly, uh, but okay. let's, let's keep this one to two minutes or less between you and me. Ready? Okay, go. Okay. I'm looking at stats from yesterday. Yep. Okay, scoreboard we're going to throw out for a second. Doyle, two interceptions, three jump balls for touchdowns, essentially, from what uh, Ted Baker's analysis of WEOS uh, was, and from yourself. Okay? Doesn't yep. seem like he's a Strom-esque quarterback, and it seems like almost just looking at the rushing yards, it wasn't that strong of a day. So throughout the scoreboard, it was a pretty even game in a lot of ways. How is this type of effort going to be able to beat a team, a juggernaut right now to a certain extent, like RPI? Two minutes well, here's, go. Well, here's the thing, Frank. Going into this game, I, you know, talking about stats, right, WPI going into the Hobart game was only allowing about 88 yards rushing a game. So basically what Hobart – did to them was pretty much that had been their season average. I think Hobart gained roughly 93 or something yards, but you know they were going up against a, a pretty decent you know run defensive team. And at the half, Hobart total offense was about 181 yards to, or I'm sorry, 185 to 81. So they they clearly dominated the first half. And then you know I don't know whether they you know took their foot off the accelerator or what. They you know there was a few you know three and outs couple of stalled drives here and there, um, some de- good defensive plays on, on both teams. But, you know, realistically, WPI was nowhere even in this game until, you know, about a minute into the fourth quarter. Then they made a, you know, a couple uh, couple big plays. They scored, you know, two quick touchdowns and, you know, showed some life. But then 
then Hobart kind of woke up and, and put the game away. James, want to, want to stick around with us for our prediction uh, part of the show uh, later on? Uh, yeah, sure. So why don't we uh, take a break? I know Eric Jones is on the line waiting for us right now. So, uh, okay. Baker, if you've got a question, jump in, let us know, and we'll have you ask it live. Uh, one of those rare times we'll actually let uh, the caller go live. Because you know what? You're like an asset to our show. We know you. We know uh, you're not going to get into the shenanigans uh, that Eric Wren might uh, get into. You are here. Frank well, I, heard, yeah, I heard you guys you know, talking about St. Lawrence earlier, and I was almost, when I picked up the phone, I was almost going to say that I was St. Larry and like, Hey, you hosers, don't make fun of my school, eh? <laughs> <laughs> On that note, yeah, let's take a break before James goes overboard right now. And, uh, folks, uh, you know, I think we're still in the huddle. Good news. Fewer adults are smoking cigarettes than ever before. No matter how long you've been smoking or how old you are, it's never too late to quit. Almost immediately, you'll breathe better and your circulation will improve. You'll also be able to recover from illness and injury faster. Each day, your tobacco-free reduces your risk for conditions such as heart disease and stroke. For more information on quitting, talk to your health professional or call the National Quit Line at 1-800-QUIT-NOW. Take the first step to a healthier life. All season long, let D3Football.com be your home for all the Division Three football action on the road to the Stag Bowl. From interactive blogs and message boards to columns from around the region and around the nation on your favorite teams, nobody covers NCAA Division Three better than D3Football.com. As the playoffs approach, get the scoop on who's in and who's out from the experts who picked all 32 teams last year. Don't go anywhere else. Get the info from the source for Division Three football at www.D3Football.com. You are listening to In the Huddle on blogtalkradio.com, the only source for weekly Liberty League action in NCAA Division III football's Liberty League Conference. So once again, back to Studio One in Saratoga Springs, New York, your hosts, Eric Wren and Frank Rossi. And we are back here in the huddle, and I think we have a, a very special guest joining us. Uh, special because, you know what, you look at uh, win-loss records a little too much sometimes when uh, you're in this position. Uh, it's kind of how we uh, differentiate who's on top, who's not. And to say that, I, I don't think it gives enough credit to some of the efforts that St. Lawrence has put forth this season. I mean, just listening to the Union game, I was ready to throw some weights uh, through the University of Miami weight room. Uh, just the amount I was getting frustrated in that game, how well they played in that game. You working out with the football team now, Frank? Uh, yeah, not quite. But uh, <laughs> your plate bounced off your head. You see, you walk around there. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Why do I bother getting up in the morning lately with you? Anyways, uh, wait. No, no, no. Okay, folks. Now, now that one completely came out the wrong way. Yeah, We're not yeah. gonna touch it. This you is, already this, did. This is why you are not allowed in Studio One anymore. We're gonna keep this. 3,000 miles apart and do it that way. Well, there's all the dirty <laughs> underwear on the floor and everything. I don't know what's okay. going on. Let's move on to our guest, Frank. Yes, please. <laughs> uh, Eric Jones is going to join us. Uh, Eric had a very instrumental effort yesterday in keeping St. Lawrence in the win column with three touchdowns. Uh, Connor Hackett also had a, a great performance, but we we're kind of focusing on Eric because he provided what really was the insurance in that game that St. Lawrence didn't necessarily know they would need until uh, Susquehanna began pulling their uh, – Merlin act at the end of that game, trying to pull off a miracle or some wizardry. So, Eric Jones, junior running back of St. Lawrence University, you are in the huddle. How are you, sir? I'm great. How are you? Uh, you know, 
I'm in Studio One with Eric Red. Otherwise, I'm doing great. Well, that's all right. Eric Jones is feeling good. He had a, he had a great game yesterday. He picked up his team's first win. Eric, congratulations. It, you know, I, I got to believe you, you, you weren't thinking it would take, you know, six or seven weeks in to pick up your first win, right? Oh, thank you. Uh, no, I didn't. We didn't think so at all. What, what, let, let's walk through the season uh, because uh, you guys definitely play one of the stronger, I would say, non-conference schedules. Uh, you've got a pretty good mixture uh, throughout. I believe Alfred is uh, one of the teams uh, on that list. And, you know, just looking up and down, I would actually hold you guys out as one of the hardest of the eight teams that exists uh, in terms of that scheduling. And a lot of long distances you guys have to travel. Well, they used to, I mean, back in the day, not to, not to cut you off there for a second, Eric, hold your response, but I'm just going to make the comment to, to pile on Frank's question here. You know, back in the day, when, in the Stone Age, when I played in the early 90s, and there was no you know, Liberty League conference, there was no automatic qualifier, you know, I used to like St. Lawrence's schedule, and Hobart's to a lesser extent, too, because you guys would play Ithaca, you'd play Alfred, you'd, you'd play a lot of big-name teams that really could put you guys on the map if, if you had some success. So, you know, just wanted to add that, that, you know, I think you guys do play a nice schedule, and, and when you do start turning things around with performances like yourself, I think it's going to really sit well for you guys up there in Canton. But let's, let's ask you the question, though, specifically – I mean, at the beginning of the season, things weren't turning out the way you hoped they would. I mean, what was the feeling team-wise at that point? Um, well, we were all kind of frustrated, and we've had many meetings with our coaches as well and just talking about, you know, what we need to do to change things. And I think we all just kind of took it upon ourselves and looked ourselves in the mirror, and we just said, what do we need to do as a team? Like, as an individual, as a person, on the, as an individual on the team, what do we need to do to kind of, make sure that we, we're doing our job, and I think we kind of all just put it together, and we all had chemistry yesterday, and we all had a great game. I mean, the O-line had an amazing game. I mean, Chris Lutchens, John Thomas, McLean Bayard, Justin Wasinski, and, and one of our leading guards, Tim LaRose, I mean, we just, they just had a great game. And, I mean, as I'm, just, I'm hearing you guys talking, myself and Connor, we both just were able to just feed off their energy and, you know, our quarterback, J.P. Kearney, he, we just fed off of him, and then our defense was feeding off of what we were doing. I mean, we just all clicked yesterday. How hard is it, uh, Eric, to, you know, when, when you're having a season like you guys are having now where you've played tough, you've shown some promise in some of these games, but the scoreboard at the end of the game hasn't quite worked out in your favor, how hard is it to bounce back each week and put a solid week of practice in? Because that's where it starts. It starts in practice and preparation and films. How hard is it to come back each week knowing that you still haven't picked up a W and you want to compete to your highest level possible? Well, I mean, anybody in this position, it's frustrating, you know, but, I mean, it's just like it's the love of the game that's what keeps us apart. I mean, what keeps us together. I mean, you have love for the game. I mean, like in the beginning, we had some some tough losses with injuries. You know, we had our quarterback we had our quarterback out, you know, our running backs. We just run through injuries a lot of the times, and, um, Basically, just the love of our game just keeps us there. And, you know, we just have some great captains. We have a lot of guys who probably don't start, but they do show a lot of leadership. And, I mean, it's just like the energy that we just give off of each other. We feed off of each other's energy, and that's what just keeps us coming back each week, each week, each week. And then it might have taken us a few weeks, yeah, but, I mean, we pulled it off yesterday, and that's not going to be our last win for the season. You know, I, I'm looking, J.P. Kearney's a sophomore, Connor Hackett's a junior, you're a junior, and I, I said at the top of the broadcast, I'm not sure if you're able to join us for that, but uh, Eric and I were debating, Eric Ren and I were debating, uh, just 
you know, where we could expect St. Lawrence to go. Would it be an up year in 2009? I know we're kind of rushing things looking ahead, but we've talked about the expectations over the last decade. It seems like everybody you would ask would say, hey, watch out for that Hobart, that Union, that RK. But, hey, you know what? That St. Lawrence is going to be a dark horse this year. Uh, you know, keep your eyes on them. And it never seems to pan out fully the way it should. They get an upset here or there, but then things seem to just go downhill. And then this year we didn't hear your names spoken too much. It was more Rochester that came into the mix. But, you know, your season was uh, or is currently 1-7. You're hoping to finish out strong. We'll see what happens. You face Rochester next week and then an upstart WPI team. 2009, I mean, it seems like you guys are getting a pretty good education and a taste in your mouth about the difference between winning and losing and what you really want more. You've had enough losing, I'm sure, uh, for one season, but it seems like you're probably getting a lot of good lessons to carry into 2009 in 2008. Yeah, well, I mean, just the fact that, you know, we've had struggled this season, we've definitely looked upon ourselves, and like I said before, we've talked to our coaches and uh, the juniors, especially the juniors, coming up being seniors, we're definitely going to be turning a lot of things around. I mean, we definitely want to have a different type of energy than um, we've had this season and the previous seasons. We definitely want to try to do some things with the younger guys. We want to make sure that our younger guys are up to par so that way when we leave, the, um, the system will be even even stronger than when we left. So, Eric, we talked about, oh, you know, obviously it starts with the players. It starts with the, the talent pool in the pipeline at each school. You know, obviously every school gets good players. Guys like yourself made a conscious choice to attend a certain college, and you're a heck of a football player, and you've demonstrated it, you know, over throughout your career. So here's the question, because a lot of fans I don't think know a ton about St. Lawrence. You know, as a school trying to recruit and compete for kids, obviously the, the, the kids going to high schools up in the North Country, New York, um, you know, North Albany over here from Watertown, that whole area. You know, St. Lawrence is pretty well known. You get outside of, of, of upstate New York, maybe folks don't know it as well. So my question is two parts, if, if you can answer it, you know, both parts. Number one, how how successful do you think you guys can be trying to go get kids outside of your traditional geography in the North Country, New York State? And number two, what do you think, you know, at least from your own experience, what is the big draw as far as, um, you know, selling points on, you know, what sold you on St. Lawrence as an institution? Because I'm sure you could have played some other places. Um, well, I mean, we do have guys from all over the place. I mean, we do have, like, a, a few kids from Florida. I mean, we have a few kids from Massachusetts, New Hampshire area, um, things like that. But, um, I mean, one thing that I guess can, one thing that I guess could get uh, more recruits our wins, and I mean, I know that's tough right now for this season, but I'm sure if we can just keep proving ourselves, I'm sure, like, the recruiting process will be that much greater. But, I mean, I'm only an hour and 15 minutes away from this school, so I've known it. And, I mean, the academics is great. I mean, you come here and you leave with a great diploma. I mean, another thing that drew me to the school, I mean, this is, like, this, this school has probably the best athletic facilities that I've seen in any school that i visited when I was a senior, looking for schools and things like that. So, I mean, just our athletic facilities, the academics is great. I mean, you leave with a great diploma in your hand, and I don't know, it's just... Yeah, clearly St. Lawrence has a great reputation as a fine academic institution. So, you, you see, you just said yourself, you're from Watertown, you're only an hour and a half away. So, hey, you're used to playing in that Canadian snow belt, aren't you there? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty used to the cold. I mean, it's, just, it's funny seeing the Florida guys, actually, because they're like... 
Are you kidding me? This is this is nothing. I'm just, they're like I'm just like yo. This is this is nothing. It's gonna get colder. <laughs> I actually spend a lot of time in your neck of the woods, Eric. I I drive through Watertown quite a bit in the summer. You know, I make my trek up there north and do uh, some fishing up in the Thousand Islands. So I'm pretty familiar with your geography. It is a pretty part of the country, but boy, it definitely does get cold. We had uh, Chris Coney on from Union College. He's from uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and uh, he basically was saying a few weeks ago. He had to get a whole different wardrobe uh, from uh, where he was used to uh, living to uh, come up to uh, New York. And I know last year he was not a fan of the cold and admitted as much to us. So uh, we, we definitely see where you go with those Florida guys. Uh, and you're, you're going to teach them a thing or two about snowballs and building snowmen, I think, coming up soon. Oh, what, yeah. They, we've had our what? share of snow already, actually. Actually, some of the four kids actually enjoyed themselves with the snowball fighting. And that's why I've been housing myself in Coral Gables for this uh, year. Uh, going to school down there is just an excuse. Let me ask you something about yesterday's game. Uh, you guys go up 21-7. to 7. You kind of uh, joust from there with Susquehanna, a team that really had a big comeback a few weeks back against Merchant Marine Academy that I'm sure you guys are aware of. Derek Pope leading his team from down 21 twice in that game to win. Almost deja vu in that game, though. You're up 49-28 after your uh, three touchdowns in the second half, and it almost wasn't enough. What was going through your mind on the sideline? Um, well, I was just thinking, you know, we really just need to put it together. I mean, there've been there's been a whole bunch of talk about St. Lawrence not being able to show up second half. I mean, we have great first half, but then the second half they fall apart. And the team as a whole, we just – had to take it upon ourselves. Like I said, we had to look in the mirror. We all just joined up halftime, and we were like, you know what? We got to pull it together. We got to show everybody. We got to prove everybody wrong, and we got to show people what St. Lawrence is really about. And looking, just looking around, and just being like, wow, everybody's just feeding off of each other's energy, and just, just like seeing how it, we're all meshing together, and just to see like how close we are to like winning, and just, just, just seeing, just everybody just pumping the sidelines on the field, just everybody getting up, just small, like just some freshmen, some sophomore, people who probably don't start as much, just making great plays on special teams. It was amazing. I have a question for Eric. This is Eric Wren. Uh, and, again, this is Eric Wren and Frank Rossi on In the Huddle, Black Talk Radio. We're joined here with Eric Jones, a junior running back from St. Lawrence Saints. So far you've, you've shown yourself to be a very, you know, you know, fine young man. It's, it's a pleasure to hear you, you know, having some success up there at your position and making some strides, even though the team isn't quite where you want it to be yet. Tell the folks listening this, this, uh, Eric. You know, part of building a good, sustained program is year in and year out having guys that have been in the system, know the system, have some experience under their belt in big games. How much, um, as far as some senior leadership, junior seniors, you know, how close is that group at, at your team there? Do you have a lot of guys that you came in with that are still, you know, a core group, or, or do you have a, a, a pretty you know, wide mix of, of folks contributing? Um, well, there's definitely no clicks on the team. I mean, as, as far as the junior class goes, we're definitely going to be making some strides for next year. I mean, we're all close. We, we all mesh together. Just offense and defense, we're both, like, on the same page as far as what we want to do and how we want to go about next year. As far as the seniors go, I mean, the juniors and seniors, we're both, like, we're, we try to mesh together. We try to – see things through. I mean, I know the seniors, they only have two more games left, and it was great that we could pull out a win uh, yesterday, but we're definitely going to be making some strides and things like that. But, yeah, we're definitely going to be pulling ahead and coming together just to make some things click because next year we're definitely going to be showing up. We're definitely going to show people what St. Lawrence is about. 
Eric, uh, we have a special guest. I don't know if you heard. We uh, still have James Baker with us, who's one of our Hobart experts, but he has an uh, interest in asking you some questions, I think, too. James, you still with us on the phone? Yes, I am. Go ahead and ask your questions. Uh, meet Eric Jones, James Baker, Eric Jones. <laughs> hey, hey, Eric. How are you doing? Yeah, good, man. Uh, Colin from uh, L.A., but I, I had a quick question. I admit, obviously, uh, Coach Phelps, you know, had a you know, had a, a run here at, at Hobart College, and you know, the question I had was really, you know, what kind of role does does Coach Phelps play in the offense? Is he also your offensive coordinator? And if so, what's it like for you know running back like yourself to to play for you know former former quarterback? Is he trying to throw the ball too much when he should just be handing it off to you all the time, or how's, how does that work? Yeah, it's a way, way to stir the pot <laughs> that's there. That's, that's why we bring Jim in and ask questions like ask questions like that. Uh, no, well, um, no. Coach Phelps is a great, great head coach. I mean, of course, you know we do pass a lot, but I mean, we gonna we go on a thing where if it's broke, don't fix it. And yesterday we proved that the running game wasn't broken. So I mean, you do fix a thing like that. I mean, we definitely showed that we could run it on the ground too. I mean. We definitely have a great. Definitely showed that we had a great pass game. I mean, currently had 319-year pass yards, and we like we ran on the floor 244. I mean, it was pretty co- pretty close um, averagings. But you know, sometimes I mean, some games there's a great pass game. Some games there's a great run game. It just all depends on what's working at the time. But no, nah, Coach Phelps is definitely he definitely have some great play calls as far as where we pass or whether we run. Yep. Um, another quick question. Uh, Really, I mean, you talked a little bit about the line. You mentioned, you know, your quarterback having a big day. But, I mean, leading up, um, you know, into the Susquehanna game, you guys had averaged, you know, roughly about, you know, 14 points, you know, a game. And then yesterday you hang 49 on a on a pretty good Susquehanna team. What what caused the the offense to, you know, flick that switch and just, you know, score so many points? Well, I mean, to tell you the truth, it was definitely our own line. I mean, they just had – they probably had the best game out of any of us. I mean, including, you know, Ryan Cooney, who had 182 rece- reception yards, J.B. Kearney, who had all his pass yards, myself and Connor Hackett. I mean, it was, the own line definitely stepped up. I mean, they def- they, had a, they had a great game, and we were just able to feed off that. I mean, holes opened up for the running backs. They gave our quarterback enough time, and it's just – if you, I mean, if you just have, like, that great base – to hold us there, we just have to have like our our skill and second our skill in the secondary just to do the rest. Yeah, well, yeah, you guys are um, I think fourth in the league right now in total defense. So I mean, there's definitely there's definitely the talent on uh, you know on the team to uh, to make a run. I hope you guys uh, you know success and and uh, thanks for taking my questions. Hey, speaking about making runs and whatnot, uh, you know let's uh, not do the R.I.P. to the uh, season quite yet. You guys have two games left. And next week you've got, I think, one of your main rivals, I would say, in the Liberty League that you guys play pretty strong every year, the Rochester Yellow Jackets, who are really in an off season right now and uh, did not perform very well. I would, uh, you know, people hate when I say something like that, but I think it's an honest answer. Uh, losing 43 to 14, I think, against uh, Alfred yesterday, it was 43 to nothing at one point. So, I mean, in some ways, you come in at least. Uh, at the same level in, uh, you know, the whole who's going to win that game uh, prognostications that people do uh, for one of those rare times. I mean, do you feel pressure now to extend this winning streak? How do you, how do you approach next week's game? Well, I mean, we just have to, like, we just have to build on the things that we did in this game, and, and I'm talking mainly on our mistakes. If we fix the mistakes that we had yesterday, then, I mean, 
we can only build on that. We definitely we definitely had a lot of success as far as putting points on the board. I mean, 49 points on the board is amazing for anyone. But I mean, as long as we fix those mistakes, we got to get rid of our turnovers. I mean, that hurt us a lot this season with turnover ratio. I mean, we had more turnovers than we did points at the past few first games. And I mean, as long as we learn to get rid of those and we keep the clicking going on and we keep that energy going that we have from our first win, that should definitely be enough. Eric, uh, we always ask our uh, guests uh, as we close out with them here, do you have any shout-outs? Uh, don't worry about that uh, phone in the background. Do you have any shout-outs <laughs> to uh, give to any of uh, your friends, family, whoever might be listening uh, at this point? Um, nah, I mean, I, I, I put out all my shout-outs. You know, some of my boys in the team, they wanted me to give them a shout-out, and I definitely did that. <laughs> Well, Eric, as far as I'm concerned, Eric Wren, it's been a pleasure having you on. You're, you're, you know, great interview. Someone who definitely brings a good perspective. You know, but, but if nothing else, folks, you have a great positive outlook, a positive message in a situation, a season like you're having now, where your, your, your totals aren't really coming the way you want them to win the win column. Hey, you're winning in life. You're playing hard. You're competing. You're giving teams tough games and you're staying with it, that's a very important, you know, you got another year ahead of you, you're helping the young guys along, it's a positive message you bring, it's been a thrill to talk to you, all, you know, I just, all I can say is keep it up, man, because that, that's the kind of stuff that any program needs, that message is what's going to turn things around for you in Canton. Thoroughly impressed with you, uh, my friend, so we appreciate you joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Hey, take care. So, folks, right, as too. we uh, segue, and that was Eric Jones, junior running back, St. Lawrence Saints, huge win yesterday against Susquehanna, Pleasure to have him on the show. We're actually going to get to a special guest in a sec second. We're going to take a spot. I just have to once again, Frank, the audio or the uh, technical difficulties here. You know, you got to. Well, as, as long as we're not like getting knocked off the air 14 times, uh, like uh, can happen to us from time to time. But I think we have another guest. Hey, James, I think you might find this uh, guest uh, very interesting. We'll, so stay we'll, with us. Yeah, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to have Keith McMillan, okay. one of the. Main guys, the main guns, national perspective, d3football.com, an impromptu call-in. We're going to ask Keith to talk to us and explain himself why he wasn't at the shoes game. No, I'm oh. not going to drone about that. We're going to talk to him about the national playoff picture after a word from Keith's own organization, uh, d3football.com. Frank, where are they? Uh, somewhere in the huddle, I think. All season long, let D3Football.com be your home for all the Division Three football action on the road to the Stag Bowl. From interactive blogs and message boards to columns from around the region and around the nation on your favorite teams, nobody covers NCAA Division Three better than D3Football.com. As the playoffs approach, get the scoop on who's in and who's out from the experts who picked all 32 teams last year. Don't go anywhere else. Get the info from the source for Division Three football at www.D3Football.com. You are in the huddle. The only weekly talk show devoted to NCAA Division III Liberty League Conference College Football. And now back to Studio One in Saratoga Springs, New York. Your hosts, Eric Red and Frank Rossi. Yo, my my and she's harassing me, and I don't know what we can do about this. Uh, she's basically saying that the Union College Dutchmen are barefoot again because they have lost the shoes for three years in a row. 
And uh, she knows how to get at me, I'll tell you that much. That, that's a sibling for you. So hello to Gina and uh, goodbye to Gina at the same time uh, in the message board. Uh, nonetheless, Eric Wren, let me bring up something to you. Notre Dame lost yesterday to Pittsburgh in four overtimes. Kill the Notre Dame music, please. That's college football music. And we're going to ask Keith McMillan who's on the phone. Uh, Is that wrong to play that music even though they lost yesterday? Are you asking me? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, it's a great fight song, got to admit. Yeah, that's right. Well, the Rudy music, that's just to fire folks up. I thought it was very appropriate bringing in an ex-big-time college Division three or ex-college football player, Keith McMillan, played at football at Randolph-Macon, now is a small college guru. Not the guru, but a guru at D3Football.com. <laughs> Keith, thanks for joining us. Uh, I, I assume you... At least filed some of the the activities in the Liberty League yesterday. I did, you know. You know, the thing about Division Three is is it being so big. You know, with 239 teams, you know, all of them kicking off at one o'clock on Saturday. Just about, you know, you can only be one place at one at at one time. And so uh, I did try to follow from afar. You know, teams are doing a great job now of uh, getting the games live on the web. You get a webcast. You can get audio. You can get live stats. So you know, you can be in Texas. And checking out New York if you, if you really want to. Or, or you could be in Coral Gables like Frank does or L.A. like James. You know, if you did make it here, it's probably a good thing you didn't because you would have ended up with a uh, five-star uh, headache all day like I did after celebrating the big win last night. <laughs> well, that, that happens especially when you're partial in a big rivalry game and your team wins. Uh, you know, Randolph making what has a big rival and uh, it gets the same way around the, uh, around the end of the year, so. I was actually glad I was up here because the video feed uh, did not work yesterday uh, for RPIO. For what a time for that not to work, but uh, a lot of people had to just listen to the game uh, old school again. And uh, I got to see it live, had a great perspective on it. And, uh, Keith, let's talk about these rivalries that we run into these last three weeks of the season real briefly here. Uh, Unions used to be played against RPI the last few years and the last week of the season. The last three weeks seems to be where you get a lot of your high-potent uh, level rivalries uh, like the Quartica Jug game and whatnot. I mean, uh, why, what do you think about the quality of football that gets played in the last three weeks of the season, not just with the playoff hunt, but with these rivalries? Well, you know, it's it's such a tradition at so many places. And, you know, you, you go from the, the real well-known ones, um, like you mentioned, Quartica Jug, you know, the Dutchman Shoes is right up there. Uh, you got the Moan and Bell in, uh, in Indiana between DePaul and Wabash and games like that, but there's also ones even on like a, a smaller, more regional level like Muhlenberg and uh, Moravian. And, you know, they make sure every year to try to have that game at the, uh, at the end of the year, at the end of the schedule. And, it, uh, it, you know, I, I know for me personally at Randolph-Macon, it's like a second homecoming. You know, a lot of times, you know, if both teams are having a good year, all the guys will, will skip homecoming and they'll, they'll come to the Hampton-Sydney game because it, it is like a uh, – I mean, you just look forward to it every year, and, and, the, and the crazy thing is, and I'm sure you guys experience this, the week of that game, you know, you, you get guys coming out of the woodwork that played 40 years ago that have these great memories and these great stories, and, you know, some of the best stories I hear are, are not even about the games, but, like, the pranks they used to pull on each other before the, before the big games and stuff like that. So there's so much spirit around it. I think the quality of it is, uh, is really top-notch, but, you know, the... Um, yeah, it was nice to oh, see some of those old timers drinking post game shots out of, out, out of the out of the shoe on the trophy. Oh, that's great! <laughs> oh God, we'll have to wash that out next time uh, Union wins uh, them back uh, the shoes. Hey Keith, 
We, uh, one of the functions uh, that you play at d3football.com is uh, kind of a playoff guru, uh, especially for uh, Pool C and Pool B uh, discussions. You know, pool A is kind of decided on its own, although you do look at uh, who's in, who's almost in, who's really in, a, I guess, a funk of sorts in terms of uh, a muddle like the uh, Empire 8 right now. But let's look at kind of the broader perspective right now. There's a lot of talk about the East region in which uh, Liberty League resides and whether or not they'll be able to fill out their own region, and if not, who they might rotate into the region, perhaps at the top of it, perhaps in the middle, perhaps at the bottom of it. Right now, if the decisions were made, what do you in terms of playoffs? Sorry about that. Are you you getting gas? (laughs) (laughs) I I, I had to step outside for my regular job. But but I did follow the the question, and you you, you asked, um, you know, who, who might get rotated in? At the top, obviously, the uh, you know the situation that you that that the East had last year was that you know by not having enough playoff teams in its region, it was very easy to shift uh, a Mountain Union in there at the top of the region and give give the East a strong number one team and, and fill in behind it. Probably not in that same situation this year, uh, because you have two you have a, at least one undefeated team in Cortland State right now, and that's of course assuming they remain undefeated. Uh, going through the, the end of their, their rivalry game with Ithaca. But if they do finish 10-0, and 0, you know, they, they have the credentials, I think, to stack up as a number one seed. And then you don't necessarily need to move another team in at the top of the region as a number one, but you may find a team from Pennsylvania. Like, so there's always South region teams like Washington and Jefferson, or, uh, which is actually a pool C team after Saturday, or like Muhlenberg or somebody like that. Uh, even Wesley, you could, put, you could bring in from the South region and put them in the east and not have them go over that 500-mile barrier, which is the, uh, the, the, the limit where the NCAA has to pick up the, the tab for the flight, and they certainly uh, try to avoid that at all costs in the first round. Keith, let me ask you a question, though. Last year we know, at least as an RPI fan, I was really excited thinking that RPI might have had a chance to play Mount Union if they did win against College of New Jersey. It didn't pan out, obviously. But, you know, there's a lot of talk. You know, on, in, in the message boards on d3football.com as well as on the airwaves, you know, you send Mount Union out east. You send them to a, to a bracket that folks question the validity of that, whether it's geographically or just, you know, I'm not going to say competitively. You've got you to put them somewhere, right? But my, my yeah. question is, is, do you agree with a decision and how, the, you know, how it played out last year to send a Mount Union out to the northeast in that bracket? Well, I, I think that the, I like it when... There, there are four strong number one can, team, candidates to be number one seeds. You know, if you take a look at it like the way they do in, uh, in the NCAA basketball tournament, you know, if you have Duke and North Carolina at number one, you know, you don't want to put them together in the same bracket if you can help it. And that's the same situation, you know, they have sometimes in the North region. Because if you have a great season and you're a North region team like Wabash or North Central, somebody like that, you, they're always stuck from year to year uh, behind Mount Union because they're almost like an automatic number one seed. If you want to look at it from one of your guys' perspective, if Cortland State finishes undefeated this year and RPI finishes undefeated, you know it, it's it's tough for you for you to go undefeated. And you know, I mean, you'll probably have a home game in the first round, but it, it's tough year after year, I think, for a team, you know, to do basically all they can with the schedule they play and to still not really have a legitimate chance at the number one seed. So I think if you're in a situation where there's there's too many good teams in one region and there's not a, a clear number one in another region, I think then it's, it's okay to make the move. But I don't think you do it just to do it. 
Well, you know, that logic holding true, if, uh, you know, if last year's methodology of, of, of bracketology held true, say, back in 2003, you know, does RPI, you never know. Do they still make that run to the national semifinal? You know, that they had that win against Curry, then they go out and in an absolute barn burst, burner, you know, take down Springfield, the number one seed at home, then come home in the snowball game against Ithaca. It didn't so, seem like so a big strong it, 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 I mean, Yeah, the, the, way, the, way, the point I'm trying to make there is, honestly, I, I truly didn't feel that it was this humongous accomplishment for RPI to get to Collegeville. I mean, those are all teams in that bracket that, to me, were pretty well balanced. I just think it tips the scales so much when you move a team out of its natural geography to just try and create some kind of balanced bracket. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that, I think they do it. And well, really, last year was one of the only seasons that they actually took advantage of the ability to to do it. And you know, the the main reason they do it, of course, is is to avoid uh, sending teams on as many flights as possible. You know, you guys in New York, you don't have to worry about that as much because there's so many different conferences between the Liberty League, the Empire Eight, and and the NJAC up there that you can usually find a matchup between a team that you haven't played within busing distance. But when you when you get in some of these um, you know, out in Texas and out in California, these teams, they have to fly almost every time. And so they're trying to – it's funny how one matchup all the way across the country can have a domino effect uh, all the way through the playoff bracket, the way they set it up. And, and you know, you could be in that situation, again, where if it's, a, if it's a Pool C team and, you know, one loss somewhere can affect something that happens all the way across the country and the matchups that you make. So, you know, I mean, the committee – they probably try to do the best job with, with what they can, but certainly not everybody's going to agree with what they come up with. Okay, uh, right now we've got uh, Keith McMillan from uh, D3Football.com joining us in the huddle. Frank Rossi, Eric Rennie, your hosts uh, in Studio One in Saratoga Springs, New York. If you have any questions, actually, uh, for Kevin, uh, or Captain Keith, oh boy, you know what? You got me on the message board for uh, misspelling your name this week, and I think it's uh, subliminally happening now. That every time I think about you, I'm going to screw up your name somehow. Keith McMillan, the guy who I did the stag bowl with on the sideline uh, last year, uh, give us a call at six four six two zero 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 five seven six. That's six four six two zero 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 five seven six. Can you tell I'm tired right now? I've got a big question for you, Keith, for our Liberty League uh, listeners, especially RPI fans and Hobart fans. We have James uh, James Baker still with us, uh, our Hobart guru of sorts. Uh, and here's the question. Next week, RPI Hobart. Right now, RPI is 7-0. and Hobart is 6-1. and We'd love to have Keith at that game. <laughs> Let's not start. Oh, you got... but, call hey, call my boss and I'm there. I'm out. Yeah, Basically, uh, let's say Hobart wins, and both RPI and Hobart win their last game, so that they finish both at eight and one. But Hobart wins the automatic bid. Knowing what you know about RPI strength of schedule numbers and how they should pan out, does RPI make it into the Pool C from the way it looks right now, at least? Well, in that case, they're definitely in the discussion. Because what you have right now in Pool C, as of Saturday, you're looking at uh, several other teams who just dropped into Pool C who also have questionable strength of schedule. And by that, I mean Trinity, Texas, who, who doesn't really have a, a marquee win. Uh, Washington and Jefferson now, you know, on pace to finish 9-1. and one, But they're, they're 
out of conference schedule was Oberlin and Frostburg State, two teams that that only have a couple wins. So you're in a in a group with other teams that have similar credentials, but the problem is there's a lot of teams in that group right now. Uh, added it up earlier today, and I want to say there's still 23 one-loss teams across the country. Now, a good number of them are, are in line to to take a pool A bid if if uh, they finish out with one loss. But there there's at least like I think 13 teams angling for six bids. And then you, you got Mount Union and Otterbein. You know, if you assume Mount Union wins that game, Otterbein's a pretty strong nine and one team. Harden Simmons would be one if they finish behind Mary Harden Baylor. Whitewater would be one if Stevens Point wins. So then then you really have three spots for for you know possibly nine, ten teams. So from from that perspective, if RPI loses, what's going to happen is in week 11, you guys are going to have a lot of rooting interests across the country. And if, for instance, you want Stevens Point to lose, so Whitewater takes that Pool A bid, so then they're not a Pool C candidate anymore. And likewise, down the line. It's easier when you control your own destiny. You're not hoping for other people yeah. to lose. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that's the that's the way everybody would from RPI would like to see it happen this week, especially you know being the last regular season game at 86 Field, uh, playing a big you know conference rival. Uh, it, it certainly would be easier to do it that way, but but it, you're, the season's not over if for some reason they happen to lose. You know what, James has a question. I know he's chomping at the bit on the phone, so uh, without further ado, let's go to James uh, out in Los Angeles. Uh, hey, hey, Keith. Uh, nice to talk to you. Glad to be on the show. So I remember seeing something on the uh, Around the Nation board. You've been to something like um, 56 or 57 uh, different D3 schools. Yes, sir. Um, well, I, I I just went to my, uh, I guess it was like my second uh, SCIAC game. I watched Oxy play um, Cal Lutheran yesterday, which was Skiak, uh, Skiak, my friend. Skiak, a pretty, a pretty exciting finish, sort of like, Sort of like all the right moves with a with a huge downpour of rain coming right before the. So you have the four missed the field goal, but um, where do, you know now Oxy's is, is you know 15 in the country. You know, where how does the how does a team like that you know sort of you know, fit in? Well, obviously, the, a lot of the strength of D3 is sort of centered in the you know, the middle middle of the U.S. There's been sort of a, a change you know, change from like the the late 80s, early 90s, where the Ithacas and the Unions were the national powerhouses, and now it's the Mountain Unions and the and the Whitewaters. But you know, how does a, how do these California you know, D3 schools you know sort of compete with the rest of the national landscape? Especially as you were saying before, they they have to travel to like Oregon to play Willamette and stuff like that. You know, the difficult situation with that is you don't have a lot of crossover games. To, to compare it with, whereas you know in the East, you know Liberty League teams are playing teams from the from the NFSI and from the Empire Eight and from New Jersey. All you know, so many there's there's enough league crossover where you can kind of gauge the strength. In, in the case of someone like Occidental, they really just play uh, teams from their own conference and then from the Northwest Conference, and and they tend to play Colorado College every year, which happens to be in the SEAC. But you know what ends up happening in a situation like that is you, you look at their their playoff results really. And and uh, if you go back to for Occidental, if you go back to 2004, um, you know they they went I think to the round of eight, and they they won at Concordia Moorhead, which is a, which was a strong team that season in Minnesota, and that's sort of something that gives you an idea that that a team from that conference can play with teams in other conferences. You know Redlands 
a couple years, they made it with, with the automatic qualifier. They lost to Linfield one year by eight, I think, and then they lost to St. John's by a touchdown the next year. St. John's had to score something like 17 points in the fourth quarter. So there's, there's several results for, for that conference to show that they can compete across the country, but it is, it is tough because you don't want to be judging 2008 on something that happened in 2006 and 2005, but sometimes that's the only data you really have to work with. Hey, Keith, Frank Rossi, uh, you're in the huddle still uh, with Frank Rossi, Eric Ryan James Baker joining us from Los Angeles. Uh, and, again, 646-200-0576. I've got a question for you. I'm just looking at the Muhlenberg ranking, and uh, just to update people that might not realize it, uh, the top 25 on d3football.com was released, and RPI is the only uh, – team from the Liberty League right now on there, and they've moved up to number 20 from number 22 last week, so congratulations to RPI kind of making it to that next threshold. But let me ask you something about Muhlenberg, a team that's 8-0 and won by six points against a lesser Dickinson team, no doubt, but they dropped two slots. And this makes me ask the question to you, margin of victory, at least at the upper levels of college football, is not supposed to matter in terms of the rankings. Maybe the human poll factors it in a little bit. But it generally doesn't seem to play a role in Division Three in terms of Pool C and whatnot. But this year almost feels like it's going to be a differentiating factor for a lot of these teams. Do you feel the same way? Do you think margin of victory is something that teams are going to be, uh, need to be very careful of as we go forward here in these last two weeks? Well, I don't, I don't think necessarily it's margin of victory in any game that you play. But certainly when a team uh, plays another good team, uh, another top-ranked team in its conference, you know, there's a difference between them winning 21-20 to 20 or having to get a two-point conversion to win it at the end and, and them winning handily. And I think when you look at margin of victory, you know, you don't look at a 20-point win any differently than a 35-point win. But, you, but there's certainly a difference between – what I like to look at really every week is even for teams that lose games, were they in it in the fourth quarter? That, that's an easy question to, to ask and answer of every game, and there's a lot of games you have to look at to, to rank a team. But if a team, you know, even if a team loses by two touchdowns, but they, they, they were driving for the winning score and they, and they threw a, a pass that was returned for a touchdown or something like that, and it made the score look like something that it really wasn't, you know, you really just, I really just try to determine was it a close game in the fourth quarter was it a, or was it a blowout. And, and I think you do factor that in to some extent. But I think also, you know, in the case of teams jumping over Muhlenberg um, for that number two spot, you know, when, when a team like North Central plays Wheaton, which was undefeated last week, and, and, and North Central handed them their first loss, or in, the, in this week's case, Trinity plays Millsaps with another team that was undefeated. And then you, and then you have to compare that with, a, with somebody that played Dickinson and, and struggled to win or, you know, only won by six points. You do have to, to, to take an honest look at that. And, and it's, it's kind of tough because a lot of these teams that are angling for that number two spot, really since Whitewater dropped out of there, they, have, uh, they don't have uh, anything overwhelming to say one is, is better than the other because a lot of them have, have been blowing their opponents out. So, you know, it's a, it's a matter of preference, and it's guys looking for different pieces of data to sort of validate uh, the votes. But that's a great thing about D3 is that, you know, we can poll to the end of the night or to the end of the season, and it doesn't much matter because – you know, you have your own playoff destiny in your hands through the automatic qualifier, and then you have your championship destiny in your hands by your, the playoff matchups that you play. So the poll is just there for us to, to you know, talk about and, and to help gauge, you know, from, from one side of the country to the other because it's so hard to, to be able to watch so many different teams in D3. You mentioned uh, Trinity Millsaps during uh, your last comment there, and last night uh, if you're watching a Texas Tech-Texas game, which was an incredible ending to that game, 
Brent Musburger and Kirk Herbstreet were bringing up the fact that it was the one-year anniversary of Trinity uh, Millsaps in that lateral fest last year. Uh, kind of an impressive uh, game in and of itself. But he's, he's gotten D3 on the map, no doubt about it, that game uh, in a lot of different ways. Eric has a question for you. Yeah, Keith, here's a question I know that's been talked about in, in the online chat rooms. It's been talked about in the parking lots across America. Anyone who is a D3 fan whose team is competing for the polls, for a poll slot, you know, has a vested interest in this kind of question. You're, you've been part of this process now, ranking teams for several years. You know, it's a different dynamic at Division Three. The, the, the pundits, the media people, they don't get a chance to see a lot of these teams. You did reference that now more and more stuff's on video, so the, the casual fan does have an opportunity to get more coverage beyond what's regional in the past. However, still, there's so many games. I know it's hard for the, the folks that vote on this stuff to see them all. You've got the traditional cream of the crop. You've got Mount Union. You've got the Wisconsin schools. St. John's off this year, but historically they've been up there. You've got the powers that be. You know, folks know these teams legitimately ranked up where they belong. You know, call it call it your top five. Beyond that top five, Keith, how do you arrive at as a as a poll as a voter or, or someone who likes to try and rank teams? How do you arrive at making sense out of a whole collection of teams you you really don't know a lot about? And how much of a margin of error is there, personally, do you feel in a poll like that? I mean, is the 10th-ranked team really that much better than the 20th-ranked team when you're really looking at teams you don't get to see a lot or don't have a lot of common opponents? I mean, just just see if you can make a little bit of sense for the fans out there who who want to know that kind of thing. Well, you know, you kind of asked two questions, and the, and the first answer is, you know, how do you how do you rank a team? Uh, you know, once you get beyond those elite teams, and you kind of you, you just go with what you know. You can't. You can't assume, or you can't say, all right, this team later in the season, you know, that they they do they play in a strong conference, so they're going to win all these games. You know, you can really only go off what you know. And in in the preseason poll, and very early in the season, a lot of that is returning starters, number of stars they have, their performance in early games. You know, when you get to this point in the season, you usually have enough data in seven or eight games to tell what kind of team it is. And, and, and the poll is, is so unscientific because teams aren't the same every week. You know, sometimes a great team will have an off week. Sometimes an injury will change the fortunes of a team. And you have to try to reevaluate that every week. Now, to answer the other question of, of are these teams the same or, or is, is 10 that much different than 20, you know, first of all, it changes every week. That's, the, that's what, what's so fun about it. But that's also kind of kind of can drive you nuts, too, if you think, wow, my team's great. They lose one game and they drop you know, 10 spots in the poll, but D3 is so big. The, the way I like to equate it is it, DC, D3 is about twice the size of Division One. So when, when you're looking at Division One top 25, the D3 equivalent is a, is a top 12. And there is so, there's so little margin for error because there's so many more teams angling to get up into that top spot. You know, honestly, if we had the time and, and the manpower, we should do a, a top 50, which would be more like a, a top 25 because there's that many teams that are – that are one-loss teams this deep into the season or have two losses, but they play a very strong schedule. So it is tough, and, and in some cases there's not that much difference between a team that's 10 and 20, and, and you'll see it in the playoffs. Those teams will get matched up, and, and there'll be surprise results. You know, it happens every year, and that, I think that's the great thing about um, having the playoffs to sort all that out. You know, rather than – Go ahead. No, I mean, I mean well, that's pretty much the, the gist of the point is that you know, the, the poll is there for us right now because we don't, we don't have the answers now. You know, we, we do the best with what we know. But the great thing is in, in two weeks we're going to start to get those answers when, when you get that 32-team field named. 
And then, then that's, it's not science, but the beauty of it is, unlike the other major Division One brethren, you know, we get to we get to go to the dance and let it all sort itself out, all the way yeah. to the national champion. We have one more. Question. We, I was just gonna say, we for time's sake, we have a we have one more question. I think James wants to ask you. Then, if you wouldn't mind, we're just gonna make our quick predictions. We'd like you to just make a prediction with us too on on a key matchup coming up this week. I know Sounds you put in the spot, but you know, give it your best shot. So, James, you got Keith McMillan. We're Eric Ren and Frank Rossi in the huddle on BlogTalkRadio.com. Keith McMillan from D3Football.com. Pleasure him join us impromptu, stepping away from his uh, day job here to, to join us. The true fan, James Baker out in Los Angeles, the Hobart guru of Liberty League, <laughs> fan kingdom there. So, James, yeah, go ahead and throw your last question out, Keith. Yeah, just one other quick question, Keith, and thanks again for uh, for taking these. Um, you know, one of the things that, that's, that's kind of um, dogged RPI a little bit this season is the fact that the you know, out-of-conference schedule isn't necessarily as strong as some of the other teams in the East. Do you see any, you know, pros and cons when it comes to the to the playoffs as far as preparation for, for teams that maybe, you know, quote-unquote schedule, you know, a little bit light versus like a, you know, a St. John Fisher who has a tough out-of-conference schedule this year, but that's kind of ended up biting them a little bit as they've lost a few more games than I think that they thought they would, and now they're sort of on the outside looking in in that whole uh, Empire 8 race. Well, it's funny you mentioned that that's a couple of great examples because there's a very fine line between scheduling tough enough to get you the benefit of the doubt if you lose a game or two games. But if you schedule too tough and you lose that third game, it's almost impossible just to, to weigh out in the criteria with, with winning percentage and opponents' winning percentage being such a big part of the at-large selection criteria. Uh, it's, it's, you know, for St. John Fisher, they've played four teams probably better than, than some teams that are ranked uh, in the top 15, have even got as high as the top 10. You know, St. John Fisher has played four teams better than anyone on any of some of these other teams' schedules. So, you know, it, it's, a, it's a, a tough situation, and, and – you know, for, for them, it's, it's good. It helps you if you win, and, and it helps you if you stay close, but it, it, it can hurt you. You know, for teams like Hobart and RPI, a lot of times what, you'll, what you see is teams saying they want to schedule like-minded institutions. In, in other words, you know, you don't want to have um, a 2,000-person school playing a 10,000-person state school where they can recruit different kinds of kids than you, and, and it's tough. You know, you don't have a lot of those in D3, so that, that matchup doesn't come up very often, but it's, very, it's a very big deal in, uh, in Wisconsin because all the, all the YAC schools are state schools, and it's a very big deal in Virginia because Christopher Newport is a uh, state school, and it costs so much less than all the other schools down there. So it, it sometimes, and I imagine it's probably, probably a big deal in, in that Cortland-Ithaca rivalry too because you, you just, you know, you, you can cast a wider net when, you, when your school costs so much less or if you, if you take kids with, diff, with different SAT score range. And um, so a lot of times scheduling is based on teams trying to find a school that's like them, and they're not necessarily thinking down the road, how is this going to affect us in the playoffs? And, and the nice thing for that is if you have that automatic qualifier, you know, you don't necessarily have to worry about your schedule. But some teams like to use, like to use that early scheduling to, to get their team acclimated to, to tough competition so that when they do get into their conference, you know, they'll be prepared for it. I think there's two There's two for Hey, guys. Hey, you know what? Hey, you know what, Keith? Actually, you just gave me the best bulletin board material for the week. Is now I can tell Eric that you know Becker is a like-minded school to RPI for the rest of the week. There you go. <laughs> well, it's funny, you know, the further around the country I go, you get these different philosophies, and it's hard to say anybody's wrong. 
But, you know, they, they do have different implications for you, especially in the playoff picture. Hey, guys, we have uh, predictions at this point. We only have a few minutes left in the show. So uh, we worked it out uh, this way. We know there's one big staple game on uh, the schedule. We're going to have you guys predict it after we predict, Eric and I, the first three games, each with a 12 o'clock start time. Uh, so if you hold with us for one second, we'll go a half minute on each of these first three games, and then we're going to let you guys give a little bit of suggestion on that last the staple game. game is still 1 o'clock start. It is not? still 1 o'clock start, the staple game. But let's talk first, Eric and I, St. Lawrence, Rochester, at Rochester. I'm going to uh, start off here and say, you know what? St. Lawrence knows how to start a game quick. I, I've seen that on a few occasions uh, already. They don't necessarily hold on to leads, but Rochester's a team that can't, mood-wise, come out and be down 14 points right away. And I think that will actually give St. Lawrence the advantage in this game, and they will win this game probably by about two touchdowns, is my guess. St. Lawrence with the win. Tough one for me to predict just because, you know, both teams have not had a like this year. You know, by virtue of that pleasant first guest of ours, uh, Eric Jones, high-quality, positive young man, that's going to be my deciding factor. I'm going to pick St. Lawrence this week. That, they got some momentum. They're going to go over Rochester. Although, you know, for Rochester, but I tell you, that's going to be tough for them if they drop this game to come back and make noise against Hobart. So, boys, an RPI fan, you're probably pulling for Rochester. We got Merchant Marine Union uh, at Union. Uh, I think Union is in a funk a little bit uh, emotionally after going 3-3 three and three and dropping the game to RPI. I think they come back, though, in this game. They might not start very strong, but Merchant Marine's offense, I just don't see it in the last games. Where is it? And I'm not trying to pick on Merchant Marine Academy. The Lord knows I'm not trying to pick on a Merchant Marine Academy. Mike, Coach Mike, <laughs> up here and squash you. Yeah, pretty much. And that's not a tough thing uh, for anybody to do. So uh, Union wins this game going away, I think. It might be close early at halftime. And then Coach Ardino gives a pretty good speech at halftime gets his team motivated. Yeah, I think, you know, Union needs to make a statement. They want to bounce back at home. Coach Ardino, you know, he, he needs to, to turn things around after that loss. You know, they play tough. He's not going to let them come out flat. They want to, you know, there's some there's pride over there in Schenectady, and, and they have more talent at this point. So I think Union wins. Score, I don't know. I don't think it's going to be a terribly big margin. Maybe, you know, 12 to 14 points. This next game is location, 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 written all over. It's Susquehanna at WPI, the longest road trip in the Liberty League uh, when one team goes to the other. This year it's WPI hosting. I think they know they want to keep themselves primed for a home ECAC game at the very least. Uh, they're pretty much out of the discussion now for NCAA Pool C, as uh, Keith will probably agree, uh, even if they finish 8-2, and two, unless uh, some real carnage happens these last couple of weeks. Uh, by CWI putting a hurting on Susquehanna. Yeah, I think the postseason opportunity there is, is a big motivator. Coach Zalun's going to have those guys fired up. And honestly, I, I think, especially with that loss to uh, St. Lawrence, I think Susquehanna has just kind of peaked emotionally. They had some dramatic wins uh, earlier in the season. I, I think the tank's empty. You know, they, yeah. they, they, they might have just kind of plateaued, I think, you know, midway through the season. Tough loss there yesterday. Good try on that comeback. Good, good, good try, but you know what? Too much is on the line for WPI at home, so I think they handle uh, Susquehanna by a couple touchdowns. Now we're going to shut up and let uh, each of our guests have 30 seconds to give their reason. It's Hobart at RPI, 1 o'clock on 86 Fields, and 86 Fields uh, historic run for at least regular season games. Keith, We'll start with you on this one. Well, guys, you know, it's hard to ignore the, the emotional subtext, I guess, of playing your last game on a field that means a lot to, to so many players up there. 
But I, I think if you want to break it down to X's and O's, at least from afar, and it's so tough to judge when you haven't seen, you know, enough teams, enough Liberty League games to, to say, but from afar, it looks like the RPI defense, you know, just in, in terms of, uh, you know, the numbers they've been giving up, they look like they've been playing well. And, you know, the names you know from afar are, are, are players on RPI's offense, specifically uh, Jimmy Robertson. But, but the defense, I think, you know, may be a factor in this game. And, of course, the, the emotional pull of, of playing that last game at 86 field. So I, I'm going to have to go with RPI. We'll ride the trend at least until Hobart upsets the cart. I have a funny feeling there's a guy across the country that's going to disagree with you, James. Well, it's funny because at the beginning of the season, I had, I had predicted Hobart would finish 8-1. and one. I assumed that the loss would probably be to, you know, RPI just based on Robertson and, uh, you know, a lot of the guys that had coming back on that offense. You know, I agree with Keith. I think this is going to be a, a big defensive game. Hobart is definitely the best defense that, that this RPI offense will have faced so far this year. And it's going to come down to the little things like turnovers and, and um, you know, momentum swings, special teams play, stuff like that is going to have a big impact. I, you know, my heart tells me that Hobart can pull, can pull off the win. I think that it's, it's definitely um, doable, but, you know, they're, they're still the underdog. But I, uh, you know. Ten seconds, I, go. What's that? Go. Ten seconds, we... go. Okay, Hobart by one point. <laughs> We want to thank Eric Jones, Keith McMillan, and James Baker for joining us. My sister and Carmela for uh, harassing me. Have a good night. You're not. I'll see you. See you later. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Take care. Thanks again, Keith. Thanks again, James.